This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here. Hope you're having a great uh, commute or however you listen to the show. Whichever method you choose and whatever time you do. I hope it's a good day for you. Happy Pretzel Day, by the way. Pretzel Day! Uh, By the way, pretzels, um, from the Middle Ages, that's when this thing was invented. Catholic monks. Again, that does not sound like a pretzel. Are you kidding me? Well, maybe not a soft pretzel. Oh, I think soft pretzel. It's funny because my mind immediately went to soft pretzels, too. Yeah, because you know why? The story is that the monks were trying to figure out what to do with leftover dough. So they would just start, you know, cleverly making little things like a sign of the Holy Trinity, which is what the pretzel might be, or a sign of marriage. Huh? I thought maybe it was just dough that was left on the counter that had salt and cinnamon on it. And hardened. Now, maybe they used to make little praying hands out of the dough. And that's where the pretzel became so popular. And then I guess it became a feature of bars around the world. Because they're so cheap. Yeah, and to just thumb their noses at the monks. Yeah. Rude. Anyway, happy pretzel day to you. It really is. Uh, It's a great – nothing like a little pretzel with maybe a little mustard on it, like a soft pretzel. Oh. Mmm. Yeah. Mmm. Yeah. So anyway, happy pretzel day. Uh, It's also – it's an important day. Trump is going to release his tax plan apparently today. And our first guest... His tax returns? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, I see. Oh, no. No. He's not releasing his tax returns. No, his tax filings. No. Hmm. Because uh, those are still being... He, those are still, you know, in dispute. So he's not going to release anything. He will release his tax plan today. And it's going to be a business windfall. And in fact, our first guest today is... Uh, one of the things we're going to talk to him about is the the... the the impact of taxes and really maybe taxes are falling on much more on the average Joe, the middle class, than it is on our the business people, on the wealthy. A lot of the money is coming from middle America. We'll get to that. So we need to either be extremely poor or extremely rich. Yeah. You're going to find okay. a lot of benefits in the extremes. Except, you know, if, if you had to choose between extremely poor and extremely rich, I'd probably choose the rich side. Well, I think most people would. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just making that clear. Okay. If, if you have to choose. Yeah. Go, go with the rich side. It's, the reality is you won't believe the amount of money that comes from middle class America. And so we'll, we'll have to – we'll get into that a bit. Uh, all that fun, of course, plus uh, McKenna Baus will be here doing a mind bender. We hope a little bit later. Also, we'll be getting into, of course, the headlines with Terry South. And uh, Terry's chomping at the bit, like a like a stallion ready for the race, wow. chomping at the bit. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? According to a report in the Washington Post, White House officials and a number of Republican lawmakers said on Tuesday that they were getting close to a deal on, with the House Freedom Caucus on a health care bill. Representative Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, and... Raul Labrador, leaders in the Freedom Caucus, signed a signal on Tuesday, according to White House officials, that they were ready to support a new plan after the last bill failed to reach the House for vote. 
The new Republican plan has a new amendment introduced Tuesday night would allow states to waive out of Obamacare's ban on pre-existing conditions. This means that insurers could once again, under certain circumstances, charge sick people higher premiums than healthy people. Republican legislators like the policy enough to offer it in the new amendment. They do not, however, seem to like it enough to apply it to themselves and their staff. A spokesperson for Representative Tom MacArthur, a Republican of New Jersey, who authored this amendment, confirmed that it was the case members of Congress and their staff would get the guarantee of keeping this Obamacare regulation of, you know, the pre-existing conditions that can't be discriminated, I guess, if they have them. But uh, regular citizens, eh, insurance companies can figure that out. Healthcare law expert Tim Jost flagged or pointed the author to this. So uh, basically the representative, Republican, who authored it, left all Congress in when it comes to pre-existing conditions, all Come citizens on. out. Come on. That's why they like it. Yeah. Moving forward, Mexican foreign minister said Tuesday that Mexico considers President Trump's proposed border wall a hostile act. And he emphasizes once again that his country will not contribute to the cost of the wall in any way. Trump's wall is expected to cost between $21 billion and $70 billion. His insistence that Congress include uh, an early $1.5 billion for the wall and spending bill this week threatened to upend the budget negotiations that need to be wrapped up on Friday. That seems to be negotiable at the yeah, moment, so yeah. we'll see where that goes. Um, Senator Ted Cruz has an idea on how to pay for the wall. Uh-oh. He wants to use assets seized from drug, uh, drug lords such as El Chapo, the Mexican kingpin who was recently extradited to the U.S., apparently complaining about his accommodations in the New York penal system. Well, <laughs> He's not happy with how, how he's hey, being treated. Hey, where's my tunnel? I only right. had two-ply toilet paper. <laughs> so they want to take the assets seized and use those to pay for border security and a border wall. This is from Ted Cruz again. Yeah. U.S. prosecutors seeking $14 billion in drug profits and other assets from El Chapo currently. They also routinely seize the assets of other drug dealers and traffickers. Ted Cruz says $14 billion would go a long way towards building a wall that would keep Americans safe and hinder the illegal flow of drugs, weapons, and individuals across the southern border. I laugh because they're El Chapo. It's called the El Chapo Act. (laughs) El Chapo is an acronym. Oh, really? Yeah, they went They went so they far to figure out. They made an entire acronym. So it means ensuring lawful collection of hidden assets to provide order. El Chapo. El Chapo. That is fantastic. You know what else you could do is at the bottom of the wall, you could say, this portion of the wall sponsored by El Chapo. <laughs> Don't that be cool? Yeah. Like we start having, people could put advertising up there. Well, that's. Tecate well, could have some. Yep. Like miles of the wall. They, people might just spray paint the thing, too. So kind of advertising <laughs> that way. Congressional sure. Republicans have offered Democrats a government-funded deal that does not include new funds for the construction of a border wall, according to congressional aides familiar with the offer. The deal does allocate money to other border security initiatives, such as uh, surveillance technology. We're not opposed to, a, to border security. We are opposed to a wall, said Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. So okay. border security, not the a border wall. The world chaos security, just no walls. Well, there's a lot of people across Texas who aren't happy with this wall either. Right. So, And an Indian reservation across Arizona. They don't want it either. And uh, on a lighter note, yes. lots of movie news yesterday. What? We already know and can hardly wait for Star Wars Episode Eight. Hold on, we? Yes, it's coming okay. out December 15th, yeah. mm-hmm. 2017. Could be exciting. We now know Star Wars Episode Eight. Uh-huh. Tentatively titled yeah. Jedi Agogo. Hold on. Jedi Agogo? I'm making that up. Okay, good, uh, good. Th- that'll be Memorial Day. 
Really? So in 2019. So usually oh. they, these have come out Christmas. Now they're moving it in 2019 to Memorial okay, Day. Okay, Those okay. monsters. <laughs> Who wants to know about anything that's two years from now? It's going to be good. It keeps going. There's a Han Solo uh, solo movie. Solo ago. The Han Solo solo movie. Okay. May 25th of 2018. <gasps> that's sooner. Right? So that's in between mm-hmm. eight and nine. Yeah. Just to keep your scoreboard going. Also... Ralph Breaks the Internet. Remember Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph. They're doing the sequel called Ralph Breaks the Internet oh, because no. he's advanced to the modern age. He's yeah. not in a like a arcade game. Uh-huh. He's a, he's on an, on the internet. That's been pushed back. So uh, maybe some bad news. 8 months for a November 2018 release. That it's doesn't crazy. seem bad to me. Frozen 2. There's Nove- another one. Okay. November of 2019. So Thanksgiving 2019, Frozen 2. Hmm. Hmm. I, for some reason, I don't get excited about a movie release the for my li- child the in Lion, two years. The Lion King live action musical, right? Okay, yeah. July 19th of 2019. A live action musical of Lion King. Yes. You know who they're trying to get for either Simone or Tim or uh, Pumbaa? Beyonce. Seth Rogen. Really? Yeah. Okay. The other one is a guy named Billy Eicher... Or Eichner, who is that guy, Billy on the street, who just yells at everybody. <laughs> Sounds good. And finally, one more. Indiana Jones 5. Yeah, this is crazy. July 10th of 2020, both Steven Spielberg, which is good, yeah. and Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford, which uh, will be back. Harrison Ford, when that releases, will be how old? 78. 78 years old. Hopefully he's in a chair and points at whoever they're trying uh, to make into the person uh, they hand the franchise there. off to. They tried that with, uh, what, Shia LaBeouf and that kind of Yeah, that didn't work. Look how that turned Can out. I share one more piece of movie news? Sure, that'd be great. I was uh, debating on whether or not I wanted to spoil it. But let me just play this little clip first okay. and see if you can guess it. In Jurassic Park, scary in the dark. I'm so scared that I'll be eaten. First of all, did you recognize who that was? No. No. Not at all. Jeff Goldblum. Oh, really? Who is returning for Jurassic World 2. That's right. He is in that. Is he any... But is it a live sing-along show? It's a musical. So Jurassic I'm a little confused to the musical. because I thought that Jurassic World had kind of ignored that some of the sequels even existed. Like the continuity, I don't know if it's all there. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with his character, uh, Ian Malcolm, because they did use the scientist from the original Jurassic Park, was in the movie Jurassic World, Yeah, who for some reason now is like a villain. Well, they always go that way. Yeah. yeah. Once things go bad, they've got to turn villain. But did you know what that the owner of Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember his name for some reason, Bob but he uh, Trump. Richard Attenborough played okay. him. Yeah, yeah. In the book, he is actually a villain. In the movie, he's not. Wow. This is a lot of information. But that you could care less about completely. It's just... Uh, but what about Jedi Agogo? Aren't you excited about that one? It's Memorial Day. 
It's not going to be Christmas. No, I think that'll be fantastic in two no. years on Memorial Day. That'll when be great. It, when it has a title. So, yeah. Terry, it's not just me. You you are sensing the smug, holier-than-thou look that Matt is wearing on his face right now. Yeah, just a complete lack of interest Actually, in that's anything new, that's Actually, that's my new makeup. Smug. Smug <laughs> by Matt Townsend. On sale at Nordstrom. Hey, new ad. Smug by Matt Townsend. Smug. <laughs> the Indulgence. Deal, <laughs> the problem is... <laughs> I don't. I've got to live today, right? You know, right. and by the time these but, movies are two years from now, when they get here, my kids have outgrown them. Frozen two in two years, too late. You have a granddaughter. Yeah, take her. Well, okay. In two years, I will. Yeah, but I'm kind just, of worried more about like this weekend. Make your plans. Just get a calendar and just sort of drop them in so that there you already have those weekends taken care do you, of. Do you actually do that? Yeah, absolutely. Like Guardians wow. of the Galaxy Volume Two is coming out, and I've had that thing on my calendar for like four years. Do you have the soundtrack yet? Yeah, I don't. I got it on Spotify. I've been listening to it. So sad. No, it's really good. They actually put some effort into the soundtrack. Hey, anything but, with Electric Light Orchestra, I'm I'm signing up oh, for that. Oh, is that Electric? That's the orchestra at Disneyland, right? No, that's the Main Street Electrical Parade. Okay, it's hits from the '70s, Matt. You would love it. I would totally love it. They're not like just random songs from random people you've never heard of. It's all people you grew up with. Hits from the '70s. Absolutely. Sounds great. You've heard of Sweet? Oh yeah. Fox on the Run. Mm. I've did, been listening to that like on repeat for some reason. I did I why. see that wow. David Hasselhoff is on the soundtrack somehow? I hope not. It, I thought I saw one track that said featuring David Hasselhoff. Oof, I'll have to look. I think that was more of the blooper reel. <laughs> you, you're not a fan of the Hoff? No, I love the Hoff. Just don't get me wrong. I love the Hoff. Jimmy Hoffa? I love uh, Baywatch like the rest of them. But moving right along, today we're going to be talking about uh, Trump tax plan, which will be coming out today. And we've got a guest that uh, can talk taxes with us. Help us better understand what's going on with our taxes and maybe give us a little primer on a potential recession. We're going to do a little uh, financial talk up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, today, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, uh, it will be releasing his tax plan. And apparently it will be slashing corporate tax rates and offering breaks uh, on overseas profits, especially those monies that were being held by corporations that will be reintroduced back into the U.S. economy. And uh, a lot of great benefits for organizations. In fact, many are saying, hey, a lot of great benefits for companies even like Trump's companies. And so is there an unfair burden and is there an undue burden that is being placed on the average workers out there and not so much the companies? Are the companies and the organizations, the corporations doing better at uh, handling uh, their share of the of the burden of taxes than maybe the middle America? Well, our, our guest today uh, has written many articles on it. He is Jay Zagorski. He's an economist and research scientist at The Ohio State University. His research is focused on understanding the causes and consequences of poverty and wealth. And today we've asked him to come talk to us about um, taxes and how what percentage of taxes 
go where and and who's really paying the bill? Uh, Dr. Jay Zagorski, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. How this are is you? The, great. I'm doing well, and this is such a oh, this is a frustrating thing because as a small business owner, I just wrote a nice check, you know, paying my taxes, and I sit there and I think. This is just not fair. Plus, I'm, you know, I'm not making billions. I'm not these big companies that are making so much money. When you look at it overall, who carries the bigger burden of of the taxes? It is does the average Joe pay more than their fair share versus corporations? Who's carrying the burden? Uh, fair share is a really hard question because fair is always in the eye of the beholder. True. When you're writing your check, you're not sure it's fair. When somebody else is writing the check and you're getting the benefits, of course that's fair. Yeah. So it really depends. But what the numbers show is a really interesting story. Let's go back to 1945, the end of World War II. Corporate income taxes provided 35% of all the funding for the federal government. Wow. Slightly more than one-third. Fast forward to the latest numbers, which we have, uh, 2015-16, corporation income taxes are paying 11%. Hmm. And who's picking up the difference? It's individuals. So individual income taxes have risen back in World War II. The individuals are paying about 41% from the income tax. Today, it's about 47%. So that's a 6% gain, not huge. But the huge difference has been in things like the FICA, Social Security and Medicare. Back in World War II, that was about 8% of the money for all the checks the government ran. Today, it's up to one-third. So what we've done is we've shifted the whole tax system in this country away from corporations that were spending or providing more than a third of all the money to the federal government. And today, they're spending or providing only a little bit over a tenth. Individuals were slightly less than half about 50% back at the end of World War II, and today it's close to 80%. So FAIR, we can talk about later on, but the facts are we have shifted away from corporations funding federal government to individuals. And what Donald Trump is proposing, uh, and we actually haven't seen the physical pieces of paper yet, so I think I'm still waiting for the tweets to come out. And it's a little hard to understand tax code via tweets, since uh, there's not that many characters. Yeah. but it seems that he's going to be slashing that percentage even further by lowering corporate tax rates. Now, his assumption, I guess, is that if you keep the companies happy, then you keep the people employed so the people can then happily pay the bill. Is this, um, is this the assumption, is that it keeps companies, up, it keeps companies going? Uh, his assumption is it's keeping companies going, and uh, he, I believe he's correct that a lot of companies are keeping a lot of money offshore. There's billions of dollars companies have earned and do not want to repatriate back to the U.S. because of our relatively high tax rates. But those are some of the biggest companies. And by lowering tax rates, he's going to make individual owners like you much happier. Uh, he's going to be making uh, large corporate titans much happier. But the burden is going to fall larger on individuals Mm. because I don't see Donald Trump slashing government spending. So if you want to slash taxes and slash government spending, that's okay. Then the burden on individuals doesn't have to go up. But if you're going to keep government spending roughly the same and you're going to lower corporate tax rates, the money has to come from somewhere. You wrote a wonderful article talking about the four revenue sources of um, of our government, and 
you basically you just went through um, very quickly right there. But will you will you just take a little time and and walk us through what are the four ways that we get money into the government? And um, because I, I think it, it's almost like when you add them up, like you were saying, I mean, there is a there's a big burden on individuals. Even when and you may not even notice it as it adds up, but you're paying for gas, you're paying for FICA, and you're paying for you know your your taxes, your you know your annual income tax. So, talk to us about the differences. So let's talk about that gas tax first. And that's the smallest amount. So the whole category of excise and other taxes. So, for example, you pay taxes on gasoline every time you fill up your car or truck at the pump. Uh, there's alcohol taxes if you happen to drink. There's tobacco taxes if you happen to smoke. There's customs duties if you happen to travel abroad and bring back something. Uh, and there's also inheritance taxes, uh, which are politically very divisive. Uh, when extremely wealthy people die, the government asks their estate to provide some money. So those are the smallest category of excise and other taxes. And right now, that's a little less than 10%. For those of you left precision, it's about 9% of all government revenues come from those sources. Hmm. The second category, which uh, is a little bit bigger right now, is corporate income taxes, which we just talked about. Uh, Lots of people complain bitterly about corporate income taxes. Uh, But in general, even though the tax rate is quite high on businesses, businesses have become very skilled at not paying taxes and avoiding taxes. Um, That provides, so the excise tax, the alcohol, tobacco, provides about 9%. Right now, the corporate excise tax, sorry, the corporate profit taxes are providing us with about 11%. The third biggest taxes are things from the Social Security and Medicare. Many people see that as FICA on their paycheck. Uh, or sometimes the paycheck is actually broken down separately for the Medicare taxes and the Social Security taxes. And that provides basically retirement funds for people who are elderly in this country. And that provides about a third of all government revenue. Mm. And the last and biggest section is what we just finished on April 15th, or for those of you who waited until April 18th this year, <laughs> yeah. uh, is the individual income taxes. And that provides about 47%. So from smallest we have the excise taxes on things like gasoline, tobacco. The next biggest, corporate income taxes, which Donald Trump would like to slash and make actually the smallest of the four categories. The third biggest was Social Security and Medicare taxes, and the biggest, individual income taxes. And these topics all came up in the election. They come up all the time in discussions, right? When people are throwing out uh, Wall Street and um, – uh, when they're throwing out inheritance kind of tax positions on on issues, when they're talking about those people that are just you know taking from the government, not making any money, and living off of the government, getting their free check, that's coming from. I mean, all of these kind of negative throw these negative uh, attacks that we've had and heard. Um, th- it's now manifesting, right? I mean, we now have President Trump fulfilling some of his promises or trying to fulfill by by evaluating the tax code but it seems like too when he when he starts to open up the the bottle and let the genie out it, it seems like this could get pretty crazy because you if you hurt if you slash one you have to increase another don't you i mean this has to balance out well that's the idea money doesn't grow on trees uh, and money has to come from somewhere Uh, We don't like paying taxes. Let's take a relatively innocuous tax, the gasoline tax. None of us really like paying about 25 cents per gallon. However, 
I can't speak for many of your listeners, but I enjoy driving down a highway. Oh, yeah. Potholes. I enjoy driving over a bridge where I'm not praying just before I get to the bridge that the bridge stays up. Uh, I, I like having the ability to hop in my car and get places quickly. Totally. Well, and, and now we have infrastructure bills that are going to come out. But as they propose an infrastructure bill, would that not, in some regards, maybe mean more taxes? And then where would those taxes come out of, I guess, just our income taxes? Is that how that works? Or does that become an excise tax with gas? I mean, Usually the infrastructure projects in the past have come out of something called the Highway Trust Fund. Every time you pay money at the pump, that money is supposed to go into a designated fund, something called the Highway Trust Fund, and it's only supposed to be used for highway infrastructure projects and other transportation-related projects. Hmm. However, if the Highway Trust Fund doesn't have enough money because Donald Trump would like to spend more money than in the Highway Trust Fund, that money has to come from somewhere. We just don't magically make money appear, even though I'd like to. Yeah. No such luck, huh? What about what, what do you think about flat taxes? They've thrown all these other ideas out, flat taxes. Um, but again, I guess a flat tax is going to still have to equal 100% of what the government needs. So will that just be rearranging these piles? Uh, in some ways, a flat tax rearranges the piles. But the key point of flat tax, and uh, let me be clear, I'm not necessarily either advocating for or against I'm just trying to explain what's going on, yeah. is that our current tax system takes a long time to manage. You have to spend a lot of time before you write that actual check to the government trying to figure out how all these forms, they're all really complicated. And if we have a very simple form, we free up a lot of time. Uh, I, I can't actually speak to your listeners right now, but ask all of you, how much time did you spend in the last few weeks just before April 15th trying to do your tax forms? Mm. And by having a flat tax, we could free up that time. So if you spend an entire weekend or an entire week, you'd get that week back. You might spend the same amount in taxes, but you'd have more free time to do whatever makes you happy. Sure. Is it, I I mean, I guess there's this weird, um, because as I think of that, then, oh, great. So we put an industry out of business. A lot of tax workers now don't have jobs and now we've got to supply jobs. And anyway, um, the part of the issue that you brought up is if we're not managing the spending side, the taxing side, it's just going to – we have to grow it. So how do you feel as, as, a, as an economist that we're doing it managing both sides of the books? Mm, hard question, Matt. Hard question that I have to spend some time thinking about. Um, but the problem – and I just want to switch the topic just a little bit. The problem that we have with our current system is that – I want to go back to what you talked about originally. A lot of people feel it's not fair. And the question is, how do we make it a little bit more fair mm. without making it incredibly complicated so that people, instead of spending a week or a weekend doing their taxes, now have to spend, say, a month doing their taxes? Yeah. I mean, it's not fair, too, to know that um, uh, you know the corporate tax rate is, is so high, and yet in – like, what is it, 30 uh, – uh, in in the end, corporations only pay about nineteen percent taxes, but they mm-hmm. they are supposed to pay uh, such as supposedly thirty nine percent. But in the end, on average, they're paying nineteen percent. But then, if you're somebody that doesn't have really great tax attorneys that are helping you put together your taxes, you may pay your full fair share, and yet corporations keep being able to get out of it, or anybody that has 
you know, tax workers that can help them handle it. Is it is it fair if it is so complicated? Uh, that's one of the problems. And not only that, you were talking that you were a small business person at yeah. the beginning of this. Large corporations can afford lawyers. They can afford attorneys. They can afford uh, accountants who really understand the ins and outs of the tax code. But smaller companies tend not to be able to afford the high-priced help right. so that they end up paying much more of the top corporate tax rates. So top corporate tax rates are about 35% after you're earning over $18 million uh, in profits. Uh, and if you happen to be earning in that terrible sweet spot between, say, $15 million and $18 million, you can pay 38%. If you're a large company, you can afford the help to sort of push your numbers down. And you were talking about the effective rate being 19%. Uh, so you can almost half your tax rate hmm. by doing smart strategies. But smart strategies cost money. And by simplifying the tax code, accountants will be out of work or have a little less work to do, but there'll be more time and more money for both businesses and individuals. Yeah. Does overall, when you when you look at our, our percentages that we pay, where do we really fit um, worldwide? Are we a highly taxed environment or group or country? So uh, there's a whole bunch of different questions you just asked there, and there's a wonderful website that I encourage people to go to, and it's called doingbusiness.org. Doingbusiness.org is run by the World Bank, and it looks at every single aspect of how companies act, and they look at all the different countries in the world, and you can look at their doing taxes, and they can look at a variety of different countries, and they can rank all the countries from 1 to 190. They look at 190 different countries. And in the U.S., right, for paying taxes, where our rank is 36th. We're considered the 36th best country in the world huh. for business taxes. So are we terrible? No. But is it enough to talk about and get angry about? Well, how come we don't have a slightly better system? I would say definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why we're having the discussion. Let's do this, uh, Jay. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Jay Zagorski, and he's walking us through right now taxes. When we come back, Jay has written an article also about, uh, you know, about the future and, and maybe a possible economic recession that, uh, that might be heading our way. Um, and uh, along with, you know, the recession, there's a lot of other information and learning we need to, to have in order to prepare for such a thing. When we come back, we'll be talking what is a recession really, how would it impact our economy, and, um, and, and, and what, what can we do about it. Stick with us, folks, helping you understand what's really going on when it comes to uh, the economy and taxes, recessions. Stick with us, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Jay Zagorski joins us. Uh, Dr. Zagorski is an economist and a research scientist at The the Ohio State University. And uh, he's joining us today to talk about a couple of articles um, about the economy. We've talked about taxes already with President Trump releasing a new tax plan today. Also, uh, he wrote a wonderful article on how to get ready for the economic recession coming in 2017. And so uh, now Dr. Zagorski 
you first, I guess, teach us what is a recession, because you're predicting one coming in 2017. Yes. Uh, let me just say that I wrote the article, but the editor put the headline in. I know. They always I'm do that, don't they? The recession. Yeah. You like, would not have been that bold. Yeah. I was like, really? I didn't know the recession was coming in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> don't you <laughs> so love it? Yeah. <laughs> have to love editors. Right. Always looking for that punchy headline. So before we get to what is a recession, let me just say that to any of your listeners, including President Trump, no one, no individual, no matter how powerful, not even the president, can do anything about the business cycle. And the economy always goes in these fluctuations. It goes up, it goes down. It doesn't matter whether you're on the political left, you're on the political right, whether you're on the economic left, you're on the economic right. Everyone believes in the business cycle. Uh, For an example, Karl Marx talked extensively about the business cycle in his writings, as well as Milton Friedman. So two people on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum of the economy going up and down. And I'm not predicting that we have a recession coming up in, say, 11 months or 12 months. I have no idea when the next recession is coming. But what I will point out in this article is times are very good right now. The stock market is almost at its all-time highs in the last few days. Unemployment is exceptionally low, lower than we've seen in decade. Um, Real estate prices are doing quite nicely. And we're reaching a peak. Exactly when that peak will be, I can't tell you. There's an organization that decides when we're in a recession and when we're not. That organization is called the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research. And it's about 10 people who get together periodically to say, how's the country doing? Um, And they can't change anything either, but they just provide little guideposts. And a lot of people believe that a recession is when the economy has two negative quarters of GDP growth, when total output in the U.S. economy falls two quarters in a row. But we don't use that in the U.S. Why don't we use that in the U.S.? Because the organization called the BEA, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is a government organization in Washington, is constantly revising GDP numbers. This Friday, they're going to be releasing... GDP figures for the first quarter of 2017. As part of that release, if you read the whole release, they promise to revise that number a minimum of two more times. They promise. Hmm. Not only do they revise it two more times, but they're going to be revising it always. This organization, the BA, government organization, is charged with providing GDP numbers. And they roughly every five years revise all the GDP numbers all the way back to the beginning. And we have GDP numbers back to 1929. So you can't say a recession is two quarters of falling GDP growth when GDP is constantly being revised Hmm, to use better data because one day you're saying it's a recession and then the next revision comes out and they say, oops, nope, it wasn't a recession. Or now we weren't in a recession and oops, suddenly we were in a recession. So this nonpartisan group, the NBR, the National Bureau of Economic Research, has a group of experts who spend a lot of time trying to understand the economy, and they look at a whole bunch of different indicators. And those indicators are pretty straightforward. What they're looking at is they're looking at monthly employment in the entire economy. So do people have jobs? Yes or no? And how many? Is it growing or shrinking? They look at personal income, less transfer payments. So the money in the average person's wallet or purse going up, going down, minus transfer payments. Transfer payments are things like unemployment insurance, food stamps, welfare kind of payments, because Mm. we don't want to 
have government payments to people that are trying to take into account the economic vicissitudes of the going up or down in there. So we just look at personal income minus all these government transfers. We look at sales of manufacturing and trade. So are people buying things? And last but not least, they look at industrial productions. Is the U.S.'s factories running? And combining those four things together, this group of 10 smart people say, yes, we're in a recession. No, we're not in a recession. Okay. Is it because one of the things, one of the reasons you're saying that, you know, a recession is on the horizon is simply because we are in one of the, I guess, the four longest uh, expansions. Is that right? Uh, in so, in the U.S. history. This organization uh, has kept track uh, all the way back to the Civil War. Uh, and let's just not think about the Civil War because it's a little bit outside of my memory. I, wasn't alive <laughs> I don't remember then. much about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really remember much about it. I've read a lot about it, <laughs> but I've not remembered much of what the economic conditions were like. But since the end of World War II, the average, the average um, business increase, so how long we've been in an economic expansion, is about 58 months. Right, right now, we're at 94 months. Wow. 94 months. And this is the third longest on record. Right? We have two more to top. There's 106 months to go. That was back in the 1960s when we were sending people up into space all the time. Hmm. That lasted 106 months. We only have 12 months to go to become the second longest on record. And the very longest on record for the U.S. economy is just 120 months. 120 months, it's just a little over two more years. So once again, I'm not predicting recession soon, but it's very hard for me to assume or to imagine that this um, economic expansion is sort of the mother of all economic expansion. Yeah. Well, it's been sluggish too, right? It's been a slow – it's kind of been an anemic expansion, hasn't it? It's been a bit of an anemic expansion, but we're doing quite well. Yeah, yeah, it's, so, it, it's, it's moved back. What about um, the, the, the government's ability – to play the numbers, like you were talking about earlier. I mean, we do see that they adjust interest rates regularly, which, I mean, is, is that been normal for the last hundred years? And we have injected stimulus packages, right, into, into these things. Does that impact these numbers, or is that part of the, the number management that they're watching for to make sure the government isn't fixing the numbers? Well, I would say the government in the United States has not well, we don't have to worry as an economist about the government fixing the numbers. The government doesn't make unemployment rates to make uh, them uh, fit political uh, objectives or partisanship. These organizations are very, very much attuned to trying to understand that their job is to produce the best numbers possible and then to allow politicians to put whatever spin they like on the particular numbers. Mm. Because hasn't that happened where – not that it's happened, but the complaints have been from President Trump that President Obama was fixing the unemployment numbers. It's not a true unemployment number versus a real unemployment number. How do you feel about that 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 assertion? Uh, President Trump did say during the election that the unemployment numbers were not to be believed uh, and that the unemployment rate was greatly higher. And in particular, when someone clarified what he was saying, is that he was including people who were working part-time who really wanted full-time jobs, and that we should really include that. 
Mm. Uh, because the unemployment numbers were just, you know, a lot of people were, say, working 15, 20, 30 hours a week, and they wanted to be working 40 hours a week instead. So he was including those in the unemployment figures. But now that he's in office, it seems <laughs> that he's very happy with the unemployment rate, the exact way the definition is. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I guess politicians tend to change depending on where they are, whether they're looking to get into office or whether they're in office. Yeah. Uh, is there anything we can do um, that might – I mean if, there, if it is kind of – if it's expected that once you've had expansion for as long as we have, there should be some kind of recoil effect, um, which would be seeming like a recession. Um, if, if it's due, is there anything we can do to, to be better prepared just as average citizens, average folks? Not, and, and not you know hunker down and – take all of our money out of everything, but what can no. we do conservatively to, to prepare? Uh, I'm not saying for anyone to hunker down or, or start laying in the rations uh, for a long winter, but <laughs> instead, this is really a great time to actually do some smart things. Start paying down your credit card debt. Make sure that you have a little bit of savings in the bank. Know that this is the good time, and in the good time, it's not time just to spend, spend, spend but also time to start thinking a little bit about saving because sooner or later, the economy will turn down. And if you think that sooner or later, the economy will turn down, not, oh my God, the world's coming to an end tomorrow, but this is the good time. And during the good time, we have to think that winter probably will be coming sooner or later. Yeah, it's great. I mean, really, that is exactly when. That's exactly right. And it's great advice because you don't know you don't know when and yet when it's when times are fat and happy, you start thinking, Man, maybe we ought to get a bigger house. Let's go maybe we ought to expand ourselves and go, you know, go get more property. And yet that very decision on the cusp of you know, just a correction in the economy might uh, impact you greatly. Great advice by Dr. Jay Zagorski from The Ohio State University. We will take a break and come back. When we come back, McKenna Baus in the house. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to her house. She is looking about Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in the studio. McKenna Baus, Baus in the house. She's one of our great producers here at BYU Broadcasting. Uh, and we'll be losing her in a few weeks for a few months and then get her back. Yeah, I'll be back. She'll be back. But, McKenna, you, um, you've got a little mind bender for us. A lot of – we've heard on the news like over the last five or ten years, these kids open up these uh, lemonade stands like we all used to, oh, little yeah. Kool-Aid stands. You know, but we don't have, we don't wear hairnets, we don't have, we don't follow all the health codes. We so we kind of get in trouble if you're not careful. Some of the cities are shutting these places down. Yeah, um, across the country, there's been instances where you know cops come and they shut down. You know, <laughs> little Sally's lemonade stand, or you know, young men. There's been instances where they'll go door to door before a big snowstorm and sort of offer their services, saying like. Hey, Let me you know, do you want to hire yeah. us to shovel your driveways? And, you know, some of these cases are, you know, kids are already trying to save up for college or want to go to summer camp and their parents want to teach them important values about, it's a great lesson. you know, being financially responsible and things like that. Um, but because there are laws about, you know, you need a permit to do this and that to run a business or, you know, permits that vendors need to have food stands yeah. who are adults, there's sort of this gray area and it's i guess we you know this still applies because it is still a business in a way right, and right 
there's you know a lot of pushback because a lot of people are like, mm, come on, let the let the kid yeah. run their stand. The professional lemonade stands are like, hey, this is unfair practice. Yeah, it's uh, come, they don't even have to wear a hairnet. This is, this is too much. You know, this competition is unfair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so one of the cool things, though, is that Utah recently passed a law that allows uh, minors to run, operate, part-time occasional businesses without any kind of permits. That's great. And so Utah has just totally opened up. And it's great. Um, there's some discussion in New Jersey about doing a similar thing. And I think it's really, really important. I do too. I remember as a kid, um, we'd go and – you know, have like be at the like at a summer house for a weekend, and my thing was is I always like would set up a card table, yeah, and take a bunch of rocks that I'd painted <laughs> and sell paperweights, yeah, paper rock and paints. <laughs> people somehow bought it, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that there is you know a lot to learn there, and especially I think the lemonade stand sort of is this iconic oh, part totally of you know the American summer childhood. You know, running your own little business, it's. Very much a part of our culture, and so it's really good to see that some states like Utah are starting to try and, and put some protections. In and place. it's good. I think it's good for the community. It's good. I th- I see it in our neighborhood where these kids will open up a lemonade stand, and it's really weird because nowadays you're like, who would let their beautiful three daughters go out and stand on the corner and sell their goods? But the reality is. Parents and families pull in. You These kids walk away with $10 to split between three of them. And I don't know of anyone that actually ever drank the lemonade. I mean, like in our car, we might buy it and then just pour it out the window on the other side of the car simply because I don't know where it came from necessarily and what's that thing floating in it. Maybe I need to be more careful. I was always chugging the stuff. You were chugging the stuff. But, but here's one of the cool things. My daughter was a piano teacher from I think about 13 on. Mm-hmm. She would teach younger kids piano. And those very skills got her through without us having to pay for everything. But she now runs a piano business that employs at least 15 people. And it's growing like crazy. So a little entrepreneurial spirit as a child goes a very long way. I mean, yeah, not just like financial security, teaching principles there, but I think it teaches a certain level of responsibility to kids in terms of, you know, they need to, if they want to run the business, they have to figure out like, okay, I'm going to make the lemonade and I need to go out there and I need to sit in the hot sun and it might not be fun. It's so good. And it it costs this much and this much sugar and you can then go pay your tithing to your church if you believe in that. And you can, if you you want to, you can go donate 10% to the poor or go make Kool-Aid or lemonade for the poor. I mean, the cool thing is, is it teaches them the great skills and I think it involves community. And honestly, cities need to stay out of little kids' businesses. Uh, Yeah. Come on. Not to get too political there, but good job. McKenna Baus, little mind bender for you. Thanks, McKenna. Thanks. Keep up the great work. We will take a break, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Let's start with lemonade stands. It's the House of Baus. It's the House of Baus. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Wednesday to you. Is today Wednesday? Sure is. My, oh, my, how time flies. 
when you're having fun. Happy Pretzel Day, by the way. Today we celebrate the pretzel, both the hard pretzel, you know, the nice crunchy one, like that one that still sounds a bit chippy, and also the soft pretzel. There's the soft pretzel with maybe a little mustard on it. Yeah. A little honey. No. It's just got to be the salt, the the giant salt crystals. You like that, huh? Oh, yeah. It's the only way to do it. Yeah, but you, I was raised in in Utah. We used to go to the Great Salt Lake. I think I've had enough salt. I'm salted out. Happy Pretzel Day. Again, pretzels were um, created apparently by the Catholic monks who were trying to figure out what to do with those tiny bits of leftover dough. They used to fold them into different shapes, like folding like hands that were praying. And they could then bake them and then you know give them to kids to remember to pray. Or in the sign of infinity. Or the Holy Trinity, and they created all this symbolism around them. Wouldn't you feel guilty eating a pretzel that was in the form of the Holy Trinity? Absolutely. And now they're the hit at the ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) Where have we gone? The secularization of America. Uh, Today we got a great show for you. We will be replaying an interview I did actually yesterday. It's a it's a wonderful interview about longings. So it's not even a replay. It's just a it's play. A, it's the first play. It's, 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 yeah, it's just a great guest. You have not heard from Dr. David Rico yet on our show. And he, um, it's about longings. There's these basic human feelings, these drives that humans have that need to be met. And uh, they, it's just a fascinating conversation because it's more than a desire. Like you may desire you know, to be famous or you may desire to be successful in life, but he would not call that necessarily a longing. He'd call that a desire because once you're successful and once the need or the desire is met, the desire is met. When it comes to a longing, those, those longings are never met. So they're more permanent growth. Rico. Yeah, from David Rico, which I think it's a different Rico. Yeah, it's not Rico Suave. Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, the guy's smooth. Don't get me wrong. But no. But a major lesson, I think, for all of us, different lessons that we need to have. The five longings. One of the longings, for example, is the longing to uh, have meaning in life. It's constant. Everything, we want to know its meaning. We want to turn it into meaning. We want to feel meaning and be meaningful and do meaningful things. Um, so anyway, fascinating discussion. Very interesting. I think it's going to be a little mind-blowing for you. Powerful. Now well, I can't get that song out of my head. I know. I wish I actually had never even played it. Now David, <laughs> Dr. David Rico is known as Rico Suave. Okay. We'll, we, we'll fix that for him. Uh, we'll be getting to that fun ahead. Plus, Caitlin Thomas later in the show will talk about why we need hobbies. Um, we also are going to continue our search for new contributors on the show. Uh, a lot of our students are leaving to go to do other things. That's what happens when they graduate. So uh, when they're gone, we need to find new contributors, and Jeff is going to continue his search today. Yesterday, we, we interviewed a guy named Bob Moss about um, the Happy Garden Show, about therapy for, for our plants. And right now, he is at the top of our list. Right now, he is actually the only one on our list. And um, he taught us a very interesting thing about listening to our plants. We don't listen to them enough. They're constantly there talking. We just aren't listening. So we'll get to that uh, that wonderful um, 
you know, search. It's like a star search really is what it is. It's exhausting. There needs to be like a pizza budget or something because I was here all last night just wow. trying to get through as many of these contributors as I possibly could. Wow, this is great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're on it. I really am. I left at about 2. 11.30. for you. So, uh, <laughs> well, you missed, but you you missed some of the best ones then, I got to tell you. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, keep it up. I'm, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're working on the show that way. We will. Um, we will uh, also, of course, be doing headlines with the empty news headlines. We'll throw in a few of those for you as well, including an air marshal that apparently left it left her gun in the restroom she, on an airplane. She was new. Okay. It was a new employee. Common mistake. Just to just to give you a heads up. Yeah. You may want to talk about that one after we do the newest contributor. Potential contributor. Okay, great. Because yeah. there may be a connection there. Oh, maybe it's the same person. <laughs> and when you use the restroom, what are you supposed to do with your gun? Well, why don't you just leave it on your in your holster? Well, it's heavy. It's like with your phone. It just sort of weighs everything down and it's inconvenient. Maybe you have to do something with it. So she set it on the counter. Well, you know what I've always found when I have my gun in the restroom? Perfect time to clean it. Hasn't just your, break it down. I just break down my gun and <laughs> clean it. Hasn't your phone ever fallen out of your pocket? Yeah. Well, no, because I end, up, I end up taking care of my phone. I place it where it won't be falling on the ground, where it won't be falling into any – But my keys and my phone are always falling out of my pockets. I know, but you wear that, you wear that holster and you wear that whole uh, – you wear the belt, the really big police belt, and you have your keys hanging from it and your uh, pedometer and your watch – you have, all, you're, you have all these things hanging from your belt. Touche. Okay, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? An emerging government funding deal would see Democrats agreeing to $15 billion in additional military funding in exchange for the GOP agreeing to fund health care subsidies, according to two congressional officials briefed on the talks. Facing a Friday deadline to pass a spending bill and avert a shutdown, Democrats are willing to go halfway to President Trump's initial request of $30 billion in supplemental military funding. In exchange, Democrat leaders want the GOP to agree to fund cost-sharing reduction subsidies. If the subsidies are halted, Democrats warn that millions of people would lose health care coverage as the Obamacare exchanges collapse because of a funding shortfall. A Senate Democrat aide, however, cautioned that the numbers are still in flux. Nothing has been agreed to until the GOP and Democratic leaders in both chambers sign off on a final deal. So you see some deals. Yeah, some, some deal making. Uh, let me just get this straight. So yeah. Friday is the day that we have to have this signed or the government will close. And the Democrats are now holding a little bit uh, Trump uh, administration a little bit hostage by saying, look, you're going to fund Obamacare or maybe we won't sign anything. And the Republicans are threatening to take away funding from Obamacare and give it to the to military to saying and then or well, you, for the if wall. You, you take away that funding, the whole thing collapses. All these people lose it, and it'll be your fault, Democrats. So, so they're they're trying this to figure great. out ways they can maybe appease each other yeah. and come to an agreement. Your government working for you. It's great by taking away your health care. A San Francisco judge has blocked enforcement of President Trump's executive order barring federal funds from so-called sanctuary cities. San Francisco and Santa Clara County won preliminary injunctions to block Trump's January order to withhold federal funds from cities that refused to comply with federal authorities in enforcing immigration laws according to the judge's order. The Justice Department can still withhold grants from places that don't comply with the law but cannot enforce the order in a way that violates the Constitution. This according to the Washington Post. Trump tweeted this morning, 
First, the Ninth Circuit rules against the ban. Now it hits again on sanctuary cities. Both ridiculous rulings will see you in the Supreme Court. Wow. Except this this ruling isn't out of the Ninth Circuit, so hmm. it's fine. It's a whole different okay, it's a whole different courses. Whole different. We'll courses. see you in a different circuit. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Uh, the Trump administration Tuesday moved to impose a twenty percent tariff on softwood lumber arriving from Canada. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross said the tariff will be applied retroac- retroactively. Uh, and will uh, affect some $5 billion in Canadian imports per year. We tried to negotiate a settlement, but we were unable, Ross said, in conversations with Canadian about conversations with Canadian officials. The Canadian government responded swiftly to the news, calling the recessions for the tariff baseless and unfounded and saying it disagreed strongly with the decision. But it was very nice because Canadians are super nice and they're always cordial. Yeah. So two more rounds of approvals will need it before the full implementation. One of the one from the Commerce Department and another from the U.S. International Trade Commission. This all has to do with milk in Wisconsin and Canada doing things to block U.S. imports or, or oh, make wow. it so the price of Canadian milk is cheaper than U.S. milk. And so in response, we're going after Canadian lumber. And it's, it's Canada. Why are we in a trade war with Canada? We love Canada. What's going on? These are Canadian. They make the best uh, Canadian dry products. Bacon. Bacon. Canadian bacon. They're ginger ale to die for. Also, this came out this morning. ESPN, the sports network, has been rumored to be looking for 40 to 50 cuts of on-air talent. To get their budget down where Disney, their parent company, so they got to like lay off on forty air to talent. fifty on air people. Actually, that number this morning is now up to one hundred employees. Oh boy! So if you watch the network, there are people that you will be that you will probably watched on TV yesterday that will not be there today or tomorrow as they are. That is off. scary, and it has to do with. Uh, the number of people that are, are cutting the cord and not watching ESPN mm-hmm. anymore. So they have to their, – their stock prices from ESPN are dragging down Disney as a whole, even though Disney keeps cranking out billion-dollar movies and their theme parks are, are crazy. The ESPN cannot – ESPN is pulling down the company as a whole, so they have to get their budget under control. Mm. Uh, last couple years ago, they fired a bunch of people who were off the air, like production staff and people that way. This, they have to go for the big money, so they go for people they pay on the air, which would be radio, TV, or they say writers that appear on radio or TV. Okay. Right? So all those people losing jobs because Man. of people cutting the cords. So. Maybe this is why I got a call from DirecTV on Sunday offering me a higher package, which includes ESPN, for That's three exactly three months free. Yeah. But I think they were calling it ESPN Lite, right? So yeah. it was about a third of the people that used to be on ESPN. Yeah. yeah. The, it's a different uh, the official corporate line is shifting content strategy. You know what, wow. this, what this is going to mean. Talk it's, about it's, justification. But it's yeah. great for guys like us that uh, you know we have faces for radio. Right, absolutely. And we might be cheaper, more affordable, so maybe we would have a shot at places like ESPN. I don't know if you want a shot there. You have to move to Bristol. Why don't you, you got to know stuff about sports. Too. Why don't you talk to Spencer and Jer- or, uh, Jeremy and Brian about that I'm going to ask them that. Ask them if they'd be interested. Yeah. Finally, a 43-year-old Florida woman who was apparently upset at a man that was playing a xylophone in the kitchen, she went in and dumped a pan of cold grease on his head. What? According to the arrest report, she asked him to stop, and when he didn't, she dumped the grease. The county sheriff's office deputy noticed that he had... Uh, Grease spots on his shirt, shorts. There was a puddle of grease on the floor near the xylophone. So, 
So it's technically a salt and battery, except it was cold grease. Well, no, it wasn't me, like it was hot grease. It was cold. So well, it was just it, slimy. It so, must have taken her like six minutes to pour it out. Yeah. Just anticipation. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, what's what's the charges there? I mean, do you make a big deal out of that? It's cold grease. It's not like you got burned or disfigured oh, in some man. way. But see, that scream was probably not appropriate because – Unless that grease was freezing cold. And can you imagine a xylophone <laughs> that takes up a lot of space in the kitchen? Do you know how hard she it may is have to, a good point to degrease a xylophone? Well, that too. Not even funny, lady. Xylophones aren't cheap. Hey, anyway, today is uh, you know one of the last days of final exams here at Brigham Young University. So prof- professors are preparing grades and submitting them. All of our our producers here on the show they're just burnt out. You know, they're sleeping. They're coming in Anxious. late. They're just freaking out at finals. Yeah. Many have tests today still. A lot of stress. Oh. Plus, we're losing a lot of our producers and contributors um, on the show because, you know, they've got other things. Some are graduating. Anyway, so what we've been trying to do is we want to try to see if we can backfill and, and, and get some new contributors. But it's hard because we have to go through long lists of interviews. And, and, and so I've delegated this to Jeff who actually took it on himself because he thought this would be really fun. And uh, yesterday he pitched a new contributor, Bob Moss, and his show, The Happy Garden, where we would do uh, plant therapy um, and spend a lot of time on air listening to our plants. Uh, So we've got that one in the can. And another one, we're going to test another one today. Jeff, who's the candidate uh, that we have for today? So this is like a very niche segment. I mean, more niche than our last, than Bob even more so. Okay, cool. Because, I mean, there are tons and tons of stand-up comedians, but there are very, I think there's only one that I know of, stand-up comedian uh, who works specifically on airplanes. Okay, so you're suggesting we should have a segment on the show for stand-up comedians that work on airplanes. Right. They have the best audiences in the world because their audiences can't leave. Okay. So um, so the material doesn't even have to be that good. I'm not saying that this guy is no good, but he, he's got okay. it. He's got the audience. And you think this would be a good segment for the show? Just wait till you hear this. Folks, thanks for flying out to see me today. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't tell too many jokes with punchlines. I just don't think people should be lining up to get punched. Oh, <laughs> oh, speaking of that, what did the barbed wire say to the boxing glove as it wrapped itself around it? I spiked the punch. Oh, <laughs> oh, you know, it's nice to see folks are still traveling these days. You know, I just got back from a trip to the mountains myself. That's right, I just went skiing the other day. And I gotta tell you, when I go skiing, my favorite part has got to be riding the ski lift to the top. The rest is just downhill from there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll be here all flight. <laughs> um. Hmm. Wow. I, I think I like Bob Moss more. Really? So Bob is still at the top of the list. Bob's growing on me. Would the, would the airplane segment have the airplane sound throughout the segment? Unfortunately, yes. That's just where we get the audio is from the well, flight. Well, because, you, you know, he has to go over the PA in order for people to be able to hear him. Did you know, I don't know if you noticed it, um, it was kind of subtle, but no one was laughing. There wasn't like one laugh. I think, at, it, I think this particular one was a red-eye flight, so people may have been sleeping. So why would he do it if they were sleeping? Uh, maybe he put them to sleep. Hmm. Good point. 
part of the pre-flight announcements. Everyone tries to be a, yeah. a comedian when they do those. They can't just tell you to buckle your yeah. seatbelt and here's the exits. But I don't think this guy is actually a flight attendant. He, yeah. Like he goes from city – he travels all he over the world the to do his comedy. Hmm. It's like and, the comedians uh, on a cruise ship. They just sort of jump on and jump off. They're not part of the crew, but they're there to entertain. And Yeah, huh. but on a cruise ship, you right. have the option of going mm. to the show. Yeah. On this airplane, you get to hear this guy whether you like it or not. You know, I uh, – I just let's just keep looking. I don't think okay. we've – I don't think we've found, you know, the right – but it seems like Bob Moss is Bob Moss right there. Bob just took a major lead. Just you know why? Because Bob actually is talking. Uh, he, Bob just he's he can talk to us, you know. And and Bob's, I mean, interesting. Anyway, there's uh, that word again. There's that word. It came back out. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the five longings. That uh, are unique to all humans. We want them. We're chasing them our entire lives. And the benefit of paying attention to the things you long for. Stick with us. We've all wondered what motivates us. You know, is it just an instinct for survival or is there something driving us to search for meaning? A longing is a deep desire of our heart. A longing gives us motivation to act, to keep us acting. And according to psychotherapist Dr. David Rico, there are five major longings of the human soul that shape our nature, our love, meaning, freedom, happiness. And each of these longings can reveal our identity, showing what we want and what our ideals are and what motivates us. We're honored today to have Dr. David Rico joining us. Um, He's a teacher, a workshop leader, as well as a psychotherapist and an author that lives in Santa Barbara. Dr. Rico, thank you again for your time. Thank you for inviting me. And this book, The Five Longings, What We've Always Wanted and Already Have, A Guide to Love, Meaning, Freedom, Happiness, and Growth. Now, define for us, what is a longing? I think we've all heard the term, but what does it actually mean? Let's begin with a dictionary definition. A longing is a longstanding yearning for something that is not fully or finally attainable. So the way longing differs from desire is in this way. A desire is for something that's attainable fully and finally, whereas the longing goes on even when it is being somewhat fulfilled. So let's use a simple example. Yeah. You have a desire for a bicycle. You buy the bicycle, and now you fully and finally have it. So the desire to get a bicycle comes to an end. You have a longing for love. Even when someone loves you, you will still want love more of it from other people and or deeper from the same person all through your life. Hmm. So it will never be fully attainable. We don't say, well, I have enough love now. I'm yeah. all set. <laughs> I'm full. We, right. we will keep 
wanting to deepen it, and that's another difference. Longing has to do with deepening our yearning, whereas desire is linear. It's A wants B, A has B. See the difference? Oh, yeah. that And that to me, that's fascinating because something that would be a longing would be – it's almost – it's almost insatiable, and it it always will be deepened. We want, we constantly would want to. Once we've obtained it, we would want to take the concept or the longing deeper, huh? Go deeper and deeper yeah. with it. And the this is what makes us people of depth that we have longings. Oh, interesting. Like yeah, because animals have desires, like they desire food, and then they get the food, and they're all set. But there's something about our psyche that has this uh, deeper dimension. Now, what we're basically saying is you want the more. Um, the famous psychologist of religion, William James, said that the essential element in any religion is the desire for more with a capital M. Now, this doesn't mean more possessions. This is more is happening than what we imagine. There's more to us than just our body and our ego. There's more to the world than just what we see. So this more is the equivalent of something transcendent, something that goes beyond what you can see, hear, feel, and touch. Hmm. So this is why many mystics say that all longings are ultimately for God because God would be a way of talking about the ultimate transcendence. So in this sense, longing is also a very spiritual reality in us. Yeah, and, and, and kind of innate, it almost seems to our spirit. It's our spirit, if you believe in such a thing, that that this deeper need to fill this... Mm-hmm. this yeah. In, yeah, that's powerful. Yes, I see it that way. And and the I'll longing. Let, I mean, the, oh. the, are there... You mentioned five longings that in the book. Are there more than five and you only are focusing on five? Or do oh, you, yes. Yeah. There are thousands. And are I just chose the five that seem like... The ones that we are mostly aware of, like obviously longing for love, longing for happiness. And we don't say, well, I'm happy enough now, so I'm all set. I don't ever need to be happy again. Yeah. That's, oh, this is, this is fascinating because it's opening up this other side of our lives that we may, we may sense as we're longing, but not necessarily have ever had an explanation as to what, What's like, as you just define the difference between a desire versus a longing, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some, there's, it's a side of us that never seems to, you know, fill up. We always need to keep creating more of it. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Uh, it's your, you never feel like, well, I've come to the end of this now. Um, but at the same time, I'm also trying to show in the book that there are ways to hold the longings so that we can be okay with having them rather than feel, um, shall we say, 
pushed with a must-have kind of energy, mm-hmm. that would not really be in the realm of longing. That takes us more into the realm of addiction. Yeah, like a craving. A craving, yeah. Craving is not the same as a longing. I, I, I would say that addiction happens when the longing has turned into a compulsion. Like you, you just can't help it. You have to drink more or use drugs more, whatever it may be. And you've given up on the, shall we say, healthy, tranquil way of holding your longing for something that takes you beyond where you are. Hmm. Uh, and it's become a compulsion that drives you. So instead of you having the longing, you're being pushed. Driven by it. It almost, to me, it, it seems like it's a distinction between kind of a spiritual need um, versus more of a physical need. And once it kind of moves into the more physical realm, it becomes less spiritual. Right, and that would be that would be misunderstanding what you were actually looking for. Right, yeah. So when Jung, Carl Jung talked about the uh, addiction to alcohol, he said, we're using spirits to find spirit. That's the mistake. Mm. That's it, isn't so, that it? That's such a great line. It's only spirit that can bring you to spirit. It's not spirits, you yeah. know, the spirits. So, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, distilled liquors. Um, so, so it's ultimately a misunderstanding. Yeah. And this is why the Alcoholics Anonymous program is so important and so appropriate because it offers a spiritual form of recovery. It goes right to the heart of the matter saying that addiction is a spiritual problem, not just a psychological or physical one. Mm. Yeah. Oh, this is fascinating to me. I I see it in my own practice. I see it in so many places. We're all trying to medicate these longings um, with something that's not the spiritual side of us, and Mm -hmm. and it always it always leaves us empty. Yeah. And then and then we have to look for uh, more. I mean, in some other place. So, what are what are the purposes of these longings? Then You, you. I mean, I know there there's certain there's certain needs, there's certain drives, there's certain benefits of them. How how do you see we use the longings? The purpose of the longings is the same as the purpose in the entire universe, which is an impulse toward evolution, a constant movement to increase the way that everything interacts with the environment and with one another so that there can be more and more connection and more and more of an ongoing move toward a better future. So we have these longings because they are evolutionary drivers in us, just as this oak tree I'm looking at outside my window 
is is reaching up toward the sun, competing with all the other trees so that it can survive, but it's doing more than surviving. It also provides a place for the pesky crows that gather in it every day, and it's also interacting with the rest of the environment in many ways that are helping all, all the other trees too. So we're something like that. We're trying to survive, but we're also meant to interact and connect so that we can participate in the ongoing pageant of life and also make a contribution to it. When we're oriented toward love and freedom and meaning and so forth, we're doing just that. We are... um, here as evolutionary beings. Hmm. I love that. And and to take us to a higher and higher level, you know, of, um, I guess in some ways, like attunement to a higher power or um, uh, to just uh, transcending our, our most basic state to our higher state. Um, interesting stuff. David, let's take a break and we'll come back and continue the journey and the discussion into your book, The Five Longings, what we've already wanted and already have, a guide to love, meaning, freedom, happiness, and growth. And when we return, we'll be talking about the different uh, longings and how they impact us. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, joined today by Dr. David Rico. David is a psychotherapist, a teacher, a workshop leader, and a writer who uh, works in Santa Barbara and San Francisco, California. And he's written the book, The Five Longings, What We've Always Wanted and Already Have. It's a, it's a wonderful um, insight into something you don't even think about much, these longings that we have. And he, uh, if I'm correct, David, you defined a longing Basically, as as something that it's it's a deep uh, it's a deep need it's a deep um, feeling that we have that's different than a desire. A desire is something that's actually attainable. Um, a longing is something that once we even attain and and have, and have actually received love, like if we're longing for love, once we receive love. Um, as a desire, the desire would be done, but as a longing, that's something we will always want more and more of is more love. And you've identified of the thousands of potential longings, five of them, and you've put them in your book. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good summary. Okay. Now talk to me about the, the five longings that you mentioned are the longing of uh, to love, meaning, freedom, happiness, and growth. So each of those, love, meaning, freedom, happiness, and growth, are these longings that, again, once, once we feel like we have a meaningful life, it doesn't mean we're done having a meaningful life. We will always keep seeking meaning. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so talk to us about each of these areas. And it's sort of like uh, every time you see Hamlet, you might find a deeper meaning than you did Interesting. when you read yeah. it in high school. Yeah, every time you read a, a scripture or a book or every time you meditate or every time you have an experience with another person, the meaning can change and can deepen. Mm-hmm. 
By the way, one of the interesting things I think we need to remember is these you're saying we have these longings as a means uh, a means to the end of developing us and taking us to be deeper humans. Right. And what I meant by it's these are already in us is that there's already love inside of us and at the same time we continue to look for the people and experiences that make us feel loved in very specific ways. But deep down inside, all the things that we long for already exist inside us. And I explain how that is in the course of the book. That's powerful. And is um, so love meaning um, freedom is is an interesting one for me. We, I guess every human being has a, a need for freedom. Mm-hmm. And that and it's the freedom, it's, it's more than civic freedom. Yeah. For instance, we have the, you know, free freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and so forth. What I'm referring to is the freedom to be yourself without inhibition, without fear of expressing who you really are and what you're about. And this would mean that you're not designing your life in accord with what you think other people want. You are living in accord with your own deepest needs and desires and wishes and so forth and values. And that kind of freedom we certainly long for, and it's kind of scary to put it into practice. Because yeah. maybe people won't like us as much if we're not what they expected us to be. Oh, interesting. And then we kind of know we're living or creating a false self. Exactly, yeah. In yeah. fact, all of these five have fear in them. I mean, many of us are afraid of the vulnerability that comes with love. Many of us are afraid to recognize the, that our life has a meaning and a purpose because that would mean we couldn't just um, sit around and not do much. We'd have to make a real contribution to the world, which, which uh, is costly to us, and so forth. So, so the, these longings are are not just straightforward. They have many ins and outs. Now, when I say love, I'm including each of the five as kind of a category. So when I say a longing for love, that includes connection, community, sense of belonging, accompaniment, uh, sense of being supported, uh, intimacy, Meaning would be a sense of purpose, uh, that my life has a goal, I'm doing meaningful work, uh, I have meaningful relationships, and also that I matter to you, so I have a meaning from your point of view. Mm. And freedom includes uh, the sense that we have, of course, power in the world, we can, we're not at the mercy of 
our inhibitions and our compulsions. They're not holding us back. We're acting with autonomy. And at the same time, we're not tied to old patterns that come from our childhood. Uh, Instead, we have a, a present moment lively energy that sets us uh, free to be ourselves. Happiness includes security, peace of mind, tranquility, serenity, and growth. The final one refers to our wonderful inclination to try to work on ourselves so that we become better and better at doing what we're here to do, which is to grow in self-esteem, to have healthy and effective relationships, and to have a spiritual orientation so that we're here with a sense of service to the world around us. That's beautiful. We want to try to grow so that we can be the best instrument for that to happen. Well, you can see that if any of these longings for whatever reason, um, seem thwarted or stopped or impaired, how it would send you on a journey of just almost despair and hopelessness. That could happen, yeah. I mean, and it's. I just look at each one of these, like if you thought you couldn't grow or if you thought back to freedom that you were um, determined to be who you are because of your gene pool. Um, that inside of your inside of you, this longing to be more, but always seeing that your genes keep holding you back. I guess that creates this. I guess a learning place in each of us where we have to, I guess, break through and let the longing lead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. And again, this is so subtle because we don't pay attention to this stuff. Um, you know, we just we, we just go back to work the next day. <laughs> So, yeah. so, but the longing, I guess, this is, I guess, implied in all of this, David, is this idea that we need to, we need to really start becoming very self-aware to our longings. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could read uh, a couple of sentences here from the uh, introduction or the preface to the book. I yeah. Um, because it kind of goes with this. Um, We find ourselves now, and this is referring to, you know, our journey into this topic of longing. We find ourselves now on a path walked for centuries by many ancestors who gladly join us on this journey of and into wonder. Our destination is the luminous sanctuary of the more, capital M, that we always sought and yet already are. So we're seeking that which was always and already within us. Something like the search for the Holy Grail. It it shouldn't be thought of as an object out in the world that you're trying to find. It's an inner wholeness that keeps wanting us to find it. What is the it? That would be our, our deepest self which is the equivalent of God within or enlightened Buddha nature. There have been many ways to describe it. 
So that's where these longings are already fulfilled in our wholeness. And when we get a better sense of the bigness of our psyche and our presence in the world, um, we trust ourselves a lot more to already be holding the longings that we keep asking others to fulfill. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I guess that, that helps us then. Yeah, we're always looking outward for the fulfillment when if we would just look inward and see that it's in us, we might be able to sit and be different. Yeah, and the whole purpose of the book is to show how to do that. So That's power. That's it's, what it's all about. It really is. Um, and, and I guess, so do you see these longings, I guess, manifested in most, you know, faith traditions? Oh yes, I mean they just kind of because you keep bringing them up, and but and, and even young and um, um, but Christianity, you see it, Judaism, you see it, Buddhism, you see it, you see it in so many of these faith traditions, which is really, I guess, it's it's one of the universals. Yes, that's and power. that's what I meant by so many mystics have said that all longings are ultimately for the divine, and I also say in the book that the longing itself is how the divine lives in us. Hmm. Because the divine is an evolutionary reality. It's not stuck. It's not um, totally um, flat and unmoving. It's continually flowing, and that's what longings do. They're continually flowing through us. What would you um, say as we uh, we have about a minute uh, left? What would you say is the one thing we can do today to really connect in? I mean, other than get the book, uh, The Five Longings, what we've always wanted and already have, what's the one thing we could all do today to, to really connect into those longings? I think it's a matter of saying yes to the full reality of who we are, to admit to ourselves that we've always wanted love, meaning, happiness, freedom, and growth, and that um, we can now trust that they're in in us. So it's saying yes to the deepest reality of who you are. Also, I want to mention before we end that uh, my website is DaveRico.com. Yeah. If people want to look up my other books, it's D-A-V-E-R-I-C-H-O.com. DaveRico.com. Well, David, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for your great work and your great writings. Again, DaveRico.com, and the book is The Five Longings, What We've Always Wanted and Already Have. Ah, good stuff to know that these promptings, these deeper desires we have inside us are there for a purpose and we just need to explore them we will take a break and come back when we come back we'll do what we can to help continue your journey to help you become the best you can be stick with us this is the matt townsend show Matt Townsend Show. Rico Suave. Suave. Jeffrey's favorite song. Well, I just thought it was fitting because you just interviewed 
uh, Rico. Yeah. David Rico. Dr. Oh, David I'm Rico. sorry. That was a different Rico. Nice song twist. Yeah. Speaking of Rico, let's get to our next guest. Caitlin Thomas is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you think back to a time when you were a kid or even a teenager, perhaps when you were a young adult, and can you remember when you used to have hobbies? Have you gotten so caught up in your work and home life that you just haven't been doing those things you love to do? Well, Caitlin Thomas is here to help remind us why hobbies are important and what we can do in our lives to still have them. Mm-hmm. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. I understand this work-life hobbies happiness thing, yeah. balance thing is really difficult. It's hard. I mean, I'm not very old, and I feel like I'm having a hard time balancing already. And are you I'm really? A, I'm only like 24 You're only in 12. a couple more hours. Excuse me, times You're, two. Is today your birthday? Tomorrow. Happy birthday tomorrow. Thanks. Uh, so your hobby, I mean, it's funny. I used to, I, I mean, I don't have hobbies. Well, isn't that the problem? I was, because re- I was, the reason I was thinking about this was, I've, you know, I've been job searching. Everybody yeah. knows that. But I'm also a coach for a drill for a dance team at yeah. a high school here, and that's like my favorite thing to do. But I can't call it a job because it makes so little money. Yeah, I have to call it a hobby. But see, that's what's weird is that my hobbies, my job, they that that's where all my hobbies are. See, that's ideal. Yeah. That's the ideal situation is for people to find a job or be able to take their hobbies and make it into a job. But that's not always 100. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coaching, I'm making money, but it's not going to ever make right. me. A, like an, a good income. So how do you do it? How so, do you do it? But there's things we can do because it's important. Hobbies are important because it helps us maintain this identity, like a self-actualization that we yeah. understand who we are and that there's things that we enjoy doing. And then when we retire, we don't have to stress out about being bored. What am I going to do? So I, I used to play tennis all the time. Then I didn't play it for about 15 years. And now we're playing it you again. back at it? Uh, That's back awesome. At it. But today, for example, it's raining. So, so I have one day, really two days a week that I can play tennis. And now it's raining. And it's raining. That's a bummer. Bummer. But at least you have it, like in the back of your yeah. mind, that you have something. That's cool. For those that don't, here's some tips on what you can do. Yeah. If you don't know what your hobbies are anymore because it's been so long, this article that I found says the first thing to do is think on it. If you no longer partake in the activities or hobbies you've enjoyed since childhood, why have you stopped? Think about that. What made you stop yeah. doing the things that you love? And at what point in your life did you realize that you hated your job? Or didn't didn't love what you were doing every day. Ah. Um, for example, if you enjoyed acting in plays in high school, um, maybe joining an improv class would be a way to fuel that passion because you can't go, totally. you can't be in a drama team. But you could go take an improv class, or you could find you could do one play tennis. a year. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Or like you know, there's you can go to your local rec center and take you know different classes. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's lots of ways. So think about it and think about how you can take what you used to love to do. And turn it into something that you could cool. do once a week or once a month. Because or by the way, there's YouTube. You could now make a vlog. Yeah, there's a million ways there's to a million, use to do what you like yeah. to do, um, or it could just be simply like what you're doing: just carve out two days a week to go play tennis for an hour. Totally, you know? that's two hours a week. By the way, you can also go on YouTube and watch your hobby being done. That's true. And actually, when I and go, I can go. Well, no, but I go watch tennis pros teaching. Tennis thing, tennis skills on YouTube. Oh, cool. And then when I do go play the next day, it's as if I had a tennis lesson. That's cool. It's pretty cool. I like that. Plus, you can um, sleep in between. True. And you can eat popcorn Absolutely. While you're <laughs> um, this all says be true to yourself because sometimes we do certain things because we think we're supposed to do them. But this article says ignore all of that and instead listen um, for the voice that's nudging you in a certain direction. So don't just pick up some hobby. Like don't pick up vlogging or going to the gym because that's what all the other cool people, are doing, people right. in the neighborhood are doing. Like self-actualization doesn't come from people pleasing. It comes from being you. Cool. Um, so tip number 
that's the biggest one I think is just find don't do things because everybody else tells you they're cool. If you don't feel like it's something that's good for you, don't do it because that just might make you more miserable on your path to self-actualization. The so last thing you need is more stress. Um, rediscover recess. This was my favorite one. Um, so recess was, you know, when you were kids and you would take Tons time of out of your day to go yeah. run around. Carve out a little time each day or week for play. Um, be it going for a spontaneous hike in the woods, doing a paint like by number thing, or dancing freestyle in your living room. Yeah, you know, uh, find recess time. That was my favorite. one. I love that. No, I I totally love. I take a recess every day. I think we should because there's a reason we do it for kids, right? It's to help them get like so they don't get so wiggly. You get the jitters out. Get the jitters out. Go get them out. But <laughs> it's also important, I think, for adults to remember that we're we're also not programmed to sit no. in an office all no, day long. We're not. We need that. Those happy, you know, endorphins to help us. That's right. Give us one going. more. We got about twenty seconds. Um, make a to do list and make sure when you make a to do list to actually put these hobbies on your list. Make time for whatever it is that you love to do. Find it and then make time for it. Love it. And don't end your day until it's crossed off your list. Love it. You did it again. She did it again. Caitlin Thomas go. and looking for a job. If you've got any ideas for Caitlin, give okay. us a call. One eight five five chat BYU. We'll take a break, my friends, and uh, come back, have more fun. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This third hour, we are locked and loaded, my friends. We have got so much for you to uh, to, to give you so many just interesting uh, points of information Remember, if you've missed any of the earlier shows, go to iTunes, go to TuneIn, go to Stitcher. You can find us everywhere. The Matt Townsend Show is all you got to do. Look it up and um, also go to BYURadio.org. Download it. And uh, we got a, we got a lot to do. Today we're going to be talking about, um, if, for example, if women are, um, are kind of c- kind of get the, the, the bad end of the stick. Wrong. Then, in life, how come they live five years longer than the average man? Wrong. They earn less money. Isn't that out of, out of spite? Something's going on. Says <laughs> who? And um, the the problem is, we've got to figure out what's going on because as men, we're dying five years younger. But these are the five years, like at the end of life, right? Well, men are more likely to die in accidents. Well, isn't men are more likely to but, die I mean, on the drive to work? It, yeah. It's always at the end. Five years. You can't yeah. take like five years off in the middle and then go on living. <laughs> yeah, but you could try. I, it's just whenever you hear this stuff, it's like there, five years less. My, from the end is usually kind of not necessarily the best of mm. years. Isn't I it weird? That. Women tend to have more chronic illnesses. Yeah, and th- so they they're more likely to get a chronic. Long-term illness, but men are more likely to get the, uh, the the illness that will just kill you immediately. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't you want one of those? I don't know. Take me out now instead of I don't know. 10 years of pain and suffering? I don't know. What would you rather do? Hang around with your peeps and learn lessons with your family and still see your kids graduate or just you know die right now? Boink. Mm. It's a really interesting thing. We're going to get into Was all of the fun? data. Was I having fun when the end came? Well, you were driving. Well, hey. 
Now, if I had dementia and I felt yeah. like I was reliving the same day over and over again, but it was a really great day. You don't want that. Maybe, well, why not? If it was a really great day. Well, Groundhog Day. Or the day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow or edge of tomorrow? Could be. Oh, that's a great soap opera. Edge of tomorrow. That was one of my favorite soap operas. What what, what do they call that? They they rebranded that movie. It was like Live, Die, Repeat. I refuse to call it that. I just call it Edge of Tomorrow. How come this show always regresses into a movie show? (laughs) Because movies are just kind of – And we always save that for Jeff's show at the very end of the week. You always roll your eyes and try to suffer through it, and yet you watch more TV and movies than we do. You say that, but I really don't. It's true. It is true. It's really not true. (laughs) Because you guys can remember every quote from every movie. Uh, got so much to talk about. So we'll get to race, gender, and differences in death and anxiety. It's really interesting data. Plus, of course, um, our good brethren from BYU Sports will be with us at the end of the show as we tee up their show. Also, we'll do a hero of the day. Plus, we have some um, empty news we've got to get to. An air marshal leaves her gun in the bathroom. Oops. It's kind of a problem. Not supposed to have. It was okay. It was found by a passenger. It's fine. Mommy, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Oh, have you ever seen that movie, Guns on Airplanes? No, no. Wasn't it a Samuel L. Jackson movie? Well, that was Snakes on a Plane. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, that's like Air Force One. That's there's been multiple movies with airplanes and weapons. Uh, we we a couple Delta Force movies. You yeah. never see those movies on airplanes, oh, though. No way. We're regressing into a movie oh, show I'm again. Sorry. Have you ever seen you one of those movies on an airplane? No. Never seen That's a movie a on an airplane. That's a great scene in the movie Airplane when they're watching their movie and it's a, it's footage of this plane that's just crashing and burning and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not hilarious. a good idea. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, we did it again. Um, so we'll get to that fun straight ahead. Plus, we're going to be doing an exit interview hmm. on air of one of our wonderful producers that's been with us I think 6 or 7 years. At least it feels like it. Yeah, maybe it's just been a couple, but it's it yeah. feels like six or seven. David Boyle, who is also getting married and graduating this weekend, this Friday, um, and we're we're going to launch him. And I always like to do a little exit Tep- interview. applause. I like that. Yeah, a little golf applause right there. Uh, so we'll get to all that fun. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump told Holocaust survivors in attendance at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum National Days of Remembrance that they were beacons of light who continued to bring hope to civilization. He also invoking a, uh, a famous writer, I believe, saying this, that in condemnation of anti-Semitism, he says, this is my pledge to you. We will confront anti-Semitism. We will stamp out hatred. We will condemn prejudice. We will bear witness and we will act. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Why? Strong. Strong words up. President Trump's White House is a flurry of activities that pushes to chalk up tangible achievements before Trump hits his 100 days in office, even though he says it doesn't really matter. Uh, on Wednesday today, Trump will sign executive orders on education and public lands. One of the orders, uh, he will instigate an Interior Department review of all national monuments designated by his predecessors since 1996 with a perceived goal of opening more protected public lands for drilling, logging, and mining and other Order will uh, uh, order Education Secretary Betsy DeVos to study how the federal government has, quote, unlawfully overstepped state and local control, a White House official tells the Washington Post. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. National monuments and education. 
That's how he's going to wrap it up the first 100 days. 100 days on a high note. Great. iHeartMedia, the holding company of iHeartRadio, which is the biggest operator of radio stations in the United States, plans to tell investors on next month's quarterly earnings report that it may not survive financially another year. Oops. Uh, shares have dropped over 30% since iHeart made the announcement to investors April 20th. iHeart, which owns over 850 radio stations throughout the country, has very quickly seen its business dwindle due to the rise of audio streaming, mainly via Pandora and Spotify. The company launched a subscription service less than a year ago, and that has been unable, unable to compete in the market. Ooh. You were just using Beep. Spotify earlier. Beep. I was. I was listening Beep. to the new Guardians of the Beep. Galaxy. Terry's Beep. fault. <laughs> Volume 2, but... That's somebody needs to defibrillate. Yeah. I heart. In other news, a surprise appearance. It was yes. recorded, but Pope Francis gave a TED talk I yesterday. Heard in the speech played the Tuesday night. Pope Francis sounded familiar notes in, of social justice, but also reached out to the tech crowd. How wonderful would it be if the growth of scientific and technological innovation would come along with more equality and social inclusion? Hmm. How wonderful would it be while we're discovering faraway planets to rediscover the need of our brothers and sisters orbiting around us? We should be doing more to put humans at the center of our technology and not relegating relegating caring for our fellow humans to social work. I so think that's awesome. We're pushing for the stars and forgetting the people right yeah, next to Yeah, we us. just keep, yeah. Sure, we go to the moon yeah. or Mars in 10 years, but what about the little people? And finally, a study released Tuesday by Lifeway Research found that 53% of 1,000 Americans that surveyed read little or none of the Bible. Almost 1 in 10, so 9% of those they talked to, have actually read the Old and New Testaments through more than once. 11% have done it once. 12% respondents said they have read almost all of it. And 15% they had read half. Wow. The executive of Lifeway Research uh, echoes pastoral, uh, you know, pastors, uh, I guess, complaints over the biblical literacy of their flocks. Most Americans don't know firsthand the overall story of the Bible because they rarely pick it up. Even among worship attendees, less than half actually read the Bible. The only time most Americans hear from the Bible is when someone else is reading it to them. Consistency of Bible reading coincides with church attendance. Lifeway researchers found that 39% of those attending service at least once a month read the scriptures daily. However, just 13% who attend less than once a month bother to pick up a Bible at any point. Maybe this is why the Pope decided to do a TED Talk. Who knows? People have got to hear the good word somehow. Wow, that's interesting. So people are... Talking a good talk, but they're not actually reading. So going to church increases the likelihood you're going to read the Bible. That's what they're saying. And reading the Bible is a sure thing that you've read the Bible if you're reading the Bible. Right. But they also found that of the group they talk to, most have not actually ever read it. Hmm. They just go to church because it's like the cliff notes. The guy's just going to tell you about it, right? Mm. (laughs) Seems like you need more than that. You, I mean, you got to, you got to, and then you got to internalize it like the Pope is telling us. We have to internalize it instead of just, you know, saying, oh, did it, check that list. Um, okay, now what I want to do is take a minute with one of our great producers, David Boyle's joining us. And um, David is, uh, David, they dropped David off on the show one day. We we went out to the front steps of BYU Broadcasting. In a basket was a beautiful little boy, um, uh, and we named him David. 
um, David Boyle, because I think Jeffrey had a boil that day. And um, David Boyle, then we raised as a pup to adulthood, and now he's leaving us. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be here. Do you remember when we found you the first time? Uh, I don't, as I was a young child in a basket. <laughs> yeah, so you don't remember any of that. Have, yeah, I don't yeah, have you, a recollection yeah. of that. You, uh, how long have you been working on the show? Uh, I've been working here a year. Started last year. Oh, it's only been a year. Yeah. I've been, I've been living here. Just that was the first time you let me touch anything. That's right. Man, that was a long year. I just want to ask one quick question. Has the interview officially started? No, we will now officially start it right now. David Boyle, welcome to your exit interview. Are you ready? I'm ready. We will officially begin the exit interview meeting. Did you enjoy your time here that one year at BYU Broadcasting, David? Can I phone a friend? No. (laughs) Yeah. You can't phone a friend. I did enjoy my time here. Um, Favorite memory? My favorite memory... um, Probably should have prepared you for this. Yeah. Well, no, I I just feel bad because it doesn't involve you, Dr. Matt. Okay. Who does it involve? Uh, just some of my coworkers. Okay, that's perfect. Doesn't have to involve me. Yeah. Favorite favorite memory involving yeah, yeah, other yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, we just uh, we just went out one time to swig a few of us and uh, got some drinks. I don't know. It was just a good time. Just some just, good camaraderie. Yeah. Uh, least favorite memory that doesn't involve me. Uh, Could involve Jeff. Well, uh, I don't think I I don't think I have a. A least well, actually, I do have a least favorite memory. So one morning, I woke up uh, and realized that I had not prepared the for my show. Yeah, for your show. And you had and, that uh oh moment. Yeah, which is terrifying. Yeah. So that was probably that. But I luckily, remember that day. Yeah, I think you would. But I mean, ter- Terry, Terry's a good job. Does a good job of. Didn't it happen like two or three times? Well, <laughs> it might have been more. Could have, been, could have been 12. Could have been 20. <laughs> could have been a couple. I've got a question for you. Yes, Jeffrey. How many pairs of headphones have you taken from the studios? The studios? Or moved to other studios and not admitted to? I, I haven't taken any. I know that there's an investigation ongoing, and I'm, I'm willing to co- cooperate fu- fully. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Um, favorite uh, story that or guest that you've booked? I would say um, we had someone just a couple months ago. We talked about how uh, kindness is the new smart. Yeah. I just thought it was a really interesting topic that you know, for for so long we had to use our our bodies to survive, and then with the invention of machines, we didn't really need that. You needed to be smart, and now we have all this technology. You don't have to be a walking encyclopedia. You just got to be. Nice to other people. Kind and get them. See, that's so great. Uh, you've, by the way, I've been told as part of the interview, you've been so kind that you has you have actually found yourself a wife. You are now about to get. You're you're going to graduate and get married. Yeah. Do you want to give us her name? Yeah, her name is Emily McBride. And how come we haven't met her yet? That seems strange. Well, that does seem strange. Seems like we would have done that. That was the correct answer, by the way, on her name. Yeah, was it? Okay, yeah. good. We are, by the way, doing a lie detector here while we're doing this. Um, and uh, you're go- when's the wedding date? July 8th. So Now, you were asking me a lot of questions about getting married, 
and I was answering those. Do you have a question that you'd like to ask Jeff about marriage? Jeff has been happily married. How long have you been married, Jeff? Coming on nine years nine this years. year. Happily married, uh, six of them. Wow. That's, uh, that's a good percentage. That's not bad. <laughs> He's doing pretty good. His wife, happily married, even less. Yeah. Well, She's wonderful, though. She's about to have a baby. Uh, Jeff, do you have a question? Do you have a question for Jeff about marriage? Um, what was what was the most surprising thing about after you'd been married three or four months? What what were you like? Oh, uh oh, I didn't expect this. Like that. The thing that most surprised me after three or four months, um, how quickly my diet went out the window. Because mm. you know you prepare. For marriage, yeah. by exercising and cutting out certain things from your diet, and then once you've got them, it's good. And a bag of Halloween candy is put in front of you. It's all over. It's all over, and I've never been the same. So good. Neither is my wife, but she has stayed in much better shape than I have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I can attest to that. She's in great shape. So basically, you and could having a baby, after by the way. after a few months, just give up, just surrender completely. Just eat the candy. Um, greatest thing ever. Uh, this is the best time you'll ever have. Really, this is the best time. So we loved having you on our show. You're a great worker, hard worker, and smart worker. We never saw you, but you were great. And this, honestly, because you're going to graduate, you're going to go get a job, and you're going to get married. And this is the this is where all your memories will start being created. Just go have fun. Don't even – don't stress. You're marrying a very rich woman. She's mm-hmm. a school teacher. That's right. And um, I married a school teacher and immediately felt like a millionaire. Yeah. And we were like buying – we were buying like rice aroni, nice expensive stuff. Yeah. So we are, we're glad, David, you've been on the show. Thanks for being a part of our team. Thanks, Dr. Matt. You're the best. We, um, we're going to miss you. I'll miss it here. We miss you, man. David Boyle's his name. He's looking for a job out there in the broadcasting world. One eight five five chat byu if you'd like to get a piece of David in your business. Give us a call. We'll take a break. We'll be right back talking about race differences, uh, race and gender differences as they correlate to uh, life and death. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, today we're, we've got a wonderful uh, a topic that when I saw it, I thought, oh, we've got to get into that. Uh, it's really two articles we'll be covering. One is just about uh, differences between men and women in life. But also um, another one is about our, our race and our gender differences in the fear of death among elderly people. The first article is titled, If Men Are Favored in Our Society, Why Do They Die Younger Than Women?, and I wanted to bring on our, our expert to talk about it. Dr. Shervin Asari is with us today. Dr. Shervin Asari is a research investigator of psychiatry and public health at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and uh, has, has written these articles. And it just brings, I think, a lot of uh, really important information we need to know about. Uh, Dr. Asari, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Matt. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time and your energy. Um, it, you you posit a really interesting question. If men are favored in our society, 
and we and we seem to be right. There's so many things we tend to make more money, but uh, in in reality, it, um, women tend to live longer and 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 have. It almost seems like by the data, a fairly different life than we do when it comes to our health. Uh, is that true? That is correct. With no exception, in almost all societies in the world, men are favored in a, from a social aspect. So they get more employment, they get fewer stress, they have a higher prestige, prestige more prestigious jobs. Uh, uh, so society favors them, almost no exception. Even in the United States, for every dollar that men make, women make 80 cents. Hmm. So, but when it comes to the life expectancy, men do a lot worse. On average, around five years difference. And again, this doesn't have even one exception in no, no country's exception. So in, in all countries globally, women live longer than men. Yes, the differences are smaller in some countries, but there's no even... So there's no country that men and women live similar years. So it's no it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah exactly. well, what's that about? Is it biology then? It must be biology. A part of it, biology. No, not actually. So th- there are sex differences involved and gender differences. When we say sex differences, we mean genetics, testosterone. So, for example, testosterone correlates with so many poor health behaviors, suicide, homicide, uh, violence, aggression, aggression and violence to ourselves and others correlate with testosterone. So, yes, a part of it is biology. My research is on the social aspects of it, how gender roles, how men define, men's view about masculinity change the, or shapes the gender gap in health behaviors or how suicide differs across genders. So a big part of it is social. Hmm. Because, um, boy, it, that is so fascinating to me that, because there is the, the biological stuff of estrogen and testosterone, but then the social, uh, men, men are more likely to die from suicide, if I'm correct. Um, but is that, is that because of just how we've, we're more, maybe more socialized to use methods of, of killing ourselves that might, that are seriously effective? Uh, again, it- small part of the disparities in suicide can be explained by testosterone, just a small piece of it. People who commit suicide, there is some literature suggesting that those who commit suicide have higher testosterone. So the uh, biology may have some role in the gap between men and women in killing themselves, but the the major part is how you cope with the stress and the behavioral uh, role of being male or being female. As you know, men have lower rate of stress, lower rate of anxiety and depression, and several other psychiatric disorders with uh, substance use being the exception, which is more common among men. So despite lower uh, prevalence of causes of depression or causes of suicide, when those issues happen, when stress happens, men turn to suicide and uh, take the very non-healthy behaviors that are very damaging. Hmm. 
You know, another interesting thing that you brought up is because there's almost even a gender um, effect, it seems like, when it comes to health care. Uh, like women are maybe more likely and willing to seek health care versus men. Is, is, how does that fit into our overall health? That is true, and it's true across layers. So women are more aware of their body and their symptoms. So when there is a distress, they feel it much better than men. And then they are more willing to talk about it with their social network, so even friends and partner and husband and child, and then take it to a next level and take it to the healthcare system from a primary care to professional. So they are more willing to seek help. And then when they are in an office, they better communicate about their symptoms. They are even in the same situation. They have higher tendency to use emotional language and say, yes, I am in pain, psychological pain. So even in the same situation, men avoid those keywords that are necessary and signal the presence of an emotional problem to the physician. And then when they get the prescription, women are better patients. So they better take care of their medicine at the right time. And so the compliance or adherence to the medication is higher among women. So it's across layers, everything works better for women. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it really, I mean, it makes sense, right? And um, the, it kind of is, I guess, what we would, we would think. Um, but, but to have the data backing it up is, is pretty interesting. Another thing you bring up um, about health and the differences between men and women is, is back to this testosterone. I guess the testosterone drives us to be, you know, more risk-taking and, and more, you know, sensation-seeking. Talk about the impact that has on our health long term. Yeah, regardless of the testosterone, overall, men are more risk takers. So the threshold for perception of risk is different from men and women. So men have a higher threshold to perceive something as risky. But within men, there is also a role of testosterone. So when your testosterone level is higher, you are more risk taker, so that is the psychological um, side effect of testosterone. In addition to that, so you also have testosterone which is correlated with bad cholesterol. So those within men, those who have higher testosterone would develop artery or cardiovascular disease in a faster fashion just because of their higher testosterone. So it is comparing men and women, regardless of testosterone, you see the different level of perception of risk in a way that women uh, are risk avert and men just some sort of ignore the risk to some levels. And then within men, those who have higher testosterone. Testosterone is a biological correlate of several health problems. And that doesn't mean that testosterone is bad, but that means that it has some health hazards, including cardiovascular and also behavioral. And even like peer pressure, right? I mean, will, will it drive us 
to maybe do riskier behavior, fall prey to peer pressure or, you know, gender gender roles? Yes, exactly. So, again, uh, the effect of peers and social networks, we, we, we believe, usually in the health behaviors, we believe our peers, for, as men, our peers are not doing that much healthy. So we, when we compare ourselves with our peers, we usually define being men as uh, a group who commits or performs unhealthy behavior. So there are studies that are showing that definition of being a man maps or overlaps with unhealthy behaviors. Mm. So how much you think you belong to the group of men, that correlates with how much you think a healthy behavior, like brushing your teeth, is a feminine behavior. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting stuff. So hygiene is kind of a feminine behavior. Uh, Living dangerously is kind of a male behavior as we perceive it through our, I guess, through our socialization. Uh, Let's take a break. We'll come back, continue this discussion. We're also going to get into the stress and, and fear of death and anxiety that's caused by that as we age. Is that different by gender as well? Stick with us. Interesting insights. Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you understand life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, we've been talking with Dr. Shervin Asari, um, who is a, a researcher and a research investigator of psychiatry and public health at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. He received his postdoctoral training in racial and ethnic health disparities and is a fellow of the New York Academy of Medicine. Um, we're honored to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Asari, for your time. My pleasure, Matt. Now, talk about uh, one of the articles you wrote was about race and and um, gender and the differences and the fear based on race and gender about aging and dying, actually. So I, I guess in your research, you're finding out that genders view their their death with anxiety differently, as do our, our races, depending on what race you're from. Yes, that is correct. So in this study, I looked at 1,000 individuals in a national sample. So the sample was drawn from different cities in the United States, and all the sample was age 65 or above, so they are older adults. And we looked at some demographic factors like age, gender, race, then social demographic factors like income and how financial difficulty they have. Then we looked at health outcomes like who has chronic disease or self-rated health, so you rate your health as good or bad. And then we looked at some psychological measures like perception of control over life, and then we asked who is afraid of death, so death anxiety. Hmm. And we broke the sample based on gender groups and race groups to see if the group that you are from, like you are a white male or a white person or a black person, changes what predicts your fear of death. Wow. So, so okay, excellent. So by by, let's go by race. Um, d- does one race fear and have anxiety of death more than another? It's interesting. No. So being a white individual or a black individual doesn't make your 
fear of death go up or high or down, but it changes what predicts it. So if you are black, it's really difficult. The only variable which predicts your fear of death is age. So you age, you would then be more afraid of death if you are black. Hmm. But if you are white, age, your perception of control over life, and your self-rated health would determine your fear of death. So for whites, there are multiple constructs or variables which determines who becomes afraid of death. But for blacks, those health factors like self-rated health and also the psychological factor, perception of control over life doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just it's, The only thing that would matter for a black person uh, is aging. Exactly. But for a white person, it could be if you're sick, if you're aging, uh, what is your current health status or – wow. What would you what, – what, what's the distinction, do you think? Yeah, this is this – is, fascinating. I think in, in around more than 10 papers that I have published in different domains, I have found that black individuals have developed some sort of, some sort of resilience. So their mental health does not reflect their physical health. And you can see, uh, I have been in places that I have seen blacks who have physical health conditions, but they are still happy. But that is not a pattern to be observed in whites. Hmm. So maybe because of the history, uh, the, pro- the financial problems, the level of stress that blacks have tolerated in the U.S. system, maybe some other factors, there is a disconnect between their physical health problems and their mental health. This is why the stroke, stroke, obesity, heart disease, hypertension is extremely higher among blacks. But when you look at the uh, anxiety and depression, it's whites, not blacks, who have higher anxiety and depression. How interesting. Yeah, that disconnect between who has the medical condition and who has the mental health condition, that disconnect also is seen here. Well, and, and it seems like it would be harder to motivate uh, because if you had obesity but you don't fear death, um, then it might be harder to motivate a change. Exactly. It is, the intervention is more difficult for the black community. But, boy, their peace has got to be higher, right, because they're not stressed about it. Yes, that is correct. So they have more medical conditions. They, have, they are more obese. They are... They, when they, you ask them to rate their health, they say worse, but th- that doesn't predict who is depressed or who is anxious. So if you want to reduce the level of anxiety or depression, you, need, you know what to approach in a white community, but it is more challenging in a black community. How interesting, which is, again, why we need to understand this, right? So we know how to ad- approach every community. How powerful. What did you notice between genders, uh, really quickly, between the male and the female? Um, did they, do they see, uh, do they have death anxiety differently? Yeah, so the differences are not really that much based on uh, gender. So the genders are more similar than the races. But in, in overall, self-rated health is a more determinant of health for men. So if a male says, oh boy, I don't feel that good anymore, that means that is a risk factor for death. So for women who say this, their self-rated health is not that good, 
that is less valuable. That mm. doesn't transfer that much information. But for, especially for an older adult, if a male person feels unhealthy, that is a big risk of death. And especially if they're communicating it, right? Oh, absolutely. Because they might not normally communicate it, so it is a major sign. Yes, then this is exactly true. They don't say it, but when they say it, it's really serious. I, I actually have heard the same thing with um, suicide. Like if, a male threatening suicide is a very, very, very – and telling somebody about it is a very serious thing because they're they're more intent on – or willing to do it. I don't know if that's true, but I mean, yeah, we should, I guess, take all suicide, all suicide threats seriously, but a male saying it um, is a big deal. Yes. Male complaining about health or male complaining about suicidal ideation or anything is much more serious and is more real and would translate in actual behavior sooner than later. Yeah. Wow. Um, Wow, what powerful learnings. Now, just as we wrap up, help us understand, Dr. Asari, because really this is just – these are this we've just talked about whites and blacks, males and females. But, I mean, I'm assuming there's probably going to be subtle differences between every ethnic group and every ethnic group and gender group within that ethnicity. That is correct. You know, to, to be honest, it's not just our race or our gender, or our social class, but it is the intersection of all these factors Mm. which makes us vulnerable or act in a way. So white men who are living a poor life are very different from white men who live a high social class type of life. Right, true. It is exactly the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, and social class, and in some instances, place, that's living in south versus uh, north, or rural areas versus urban areas or suburb, makes a whole difference in what determines your health. Oh, absolutely. And the complexity of all of that, plus the, the fact that we're trying to serve whole communities and take ideas from, you know, maybe the inner city and take it to the rural community, it may not fly. And and taking it from one, uh, you know, social class to another may not fly. We've got to approach these people uh, on their their own, on the way they need to be approached. Great insight. Dr. Shervin Asari, thank you so much for your great work there at uh, the University of Michigan. We will take a break, come back and visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We're on the home stretch. In Jurassic Park, scary in the dark. I'm so scared that I'll be eaten. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff Goldblum singing in Jurassic Park. It'll be a live uh, theater show now. (laughs) That's crazy. Hey, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show in just 12 minutes. And I'm uh, pretty sure it's Jerem and Brian today. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, baby. Good morning. How's it going? Jeff Goldblum. Good Isn't he great? A little song there for you. I hey, I wanted song. to thank Brian, um, who, while passing by the studio today, uh, was willing, and I guess, I guess, I don't know if it's willing, but but showed us his abs. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think, the first He's time I've ever... willing to do that. Yeah. 
That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I hope nobody else. Uh, no, you're uh, ripped. That was just man. that was for your eyes. That only. was for my eyes only. I yeah. appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It no reminds problem. me. I, next time I walk by your studio, I'll show you my abs. Yeah. Yes. That. Yes. That'll please. Please. Do. I, I, you know, we talk so much about how to get you know ripped and shredded. Yeah. And we talk. You, know, you wanted to show about, it, like the rips, right? And so this morning, actually, for breakfast, and, and Jerem, you know, can be my witness. I had. Um, gushers, I had a by the foot. And so I just want, and, and, and that was probably maybe 45 minutes ago. Wow. Ago, and so I wanted to show you, you know, what it's, that type of breakfast can it's really It's a great diet, man. Mm-hmm. How, how many feet of fruit did you eat? Um, so it was only, I only had one. So you only had one, so about a foot and a half? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a good distance. Yeah. I mean, I had to save some for my wife, you know, <laughs> uh, kids, the kids that they don't, they can't eat fruit snacks. No, no, no. You got to save that stuff. Yeah. Hey guys, did you happen to see, um, the acrobatic head first dive? Yes. Over Molina. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Chris, that. Chris Coughlin from the Jays, I guess his name is. Running home, jumps over Yadier Molina, mm-hmm. head Who's first. The best catcher in baseball. Best catcher in baseball. Molina was smart enough to get his head down because that could have really. He actually kind of ru- he kind of you know rubbed the top of it, but the ball yeah. has to tag him right. Yeah. So this this Blue Jay guy's instead of sliding at home plate, he just jumped over him. He did his best Willie Mays Hayes from Major League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just. Somersaulted over him. Pretty <laughs> and, awesome, right? It was incredible. And they were about yeah. four feet away from the plate anyway, and it was incredible. It was the most acrobatic thing I've ever seen. And then he somersaults over home plate. Cirque du Soleil <laughs> in Toronto will feature Chris Coughlin, I believe. It's coming amazing. This, coming this fall. Did you guys also hear Popovich uh, laid down a $5,000 tip? No, what happened? Yeah. About that. On, on Bleacher Report, $5,000. He went to, he had an $800 meal, by the way. Which mm-hmm. is unbelievable it because happens. I think he bought some wine, of course. And then he wrote a tip for $5,000. Nice. So I want to know what your best tip ever was. I guess was. the wine was really good. It was really, really good. <laughs> right. I mean, what'd you, what'd you how many zeros did you put on that? Five zeros, four zeros, three zeros. So Playoff bonuses. Do you guys um, – Biggest tip? Are you guys big tippers? Uh, I am. I try and be I'm, generous. I'm a, I'm a big tipper. My, yeah. my wife's not, so – so she gives Way you to the call eye. out on the radio, yeah, bro. Have. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, it's not like she. It's not like she doesn't tip. Like she's just like she'll okay, tip. Point five times two carry the three. This is how much they get. Yeah, I I do that and then I, I go okay. But I'm trying to gauge the situation with that person. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So you, you know tip. I mean? like, yeah. Did they? Did I sense some level of desperation? Did they have a level of urgency? Was my because there's the just straight up generosity and then there's the. I'm going to reward you for the service yes. I rendered for for your services. Did you fill my drink consistently? With me, man. Are I you just, cool? I just think of these, you know, four letters, you know, WWJD. That's what great, would do? boy. Yeah, what, what would I do? What would is, Joseph do? Oh, what actually, would, it's actually, what would Jesus? What would yeah. Jimmer do? Oh, oh, that, that's, actually, Jesus that's, probably wouldn't go to a restaurant because he would just break. Like, hey, just give, me, give me that bread. bread. Give me right. that. Toss me two loaves. Give me two fishes. Oh, so you just want to serve everybody. That's all yeah. I need. Yeah. That's funny. You serve me in the window. You serve others with a good tip. Mm-hmm. That's yep. great. Bro. That is a good tip. Of its. That's a great tip. Actually. It's an we incredible tip. It's one I'll never forget. Luckily, I got it on <laughs> film. <laughs> we took pictures of it. Hey, are you guys still doing your show today? We're doing our show today. Uh, Dave Rose met with the media yesterday, men's basketball coach here at Brigham. There are a few players transferring. Uh, a player going to law school, another player that's going to focus on another sport. We will tell you who and who's returning to the roster and how much turnover is there on this roster and how concerned are you. We'll dive wow. into that. 
That's kind of scary. Yeah, and what's the timeline for the new assistant coach hire? How soon does Dave want it versus what will really happen? Are you going for that at all, Jerem? No. Although okay. there is a guy in my uh, ward who applied. Really? I think I'm going to apply. Yeah. Go you ahead. ought to apply. Yeah. I should, huh? You have great experience. Got great abs. Got oh, great abs. We know said, that. They said you got to be at least 5'7". So. Oh, Shoot. Bummer. Discrimination. Well, height discrimination. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally. Short, short lives matter, too. <laughs> <laughs> what else is on the show? Anything else? Um, Bri, you got anything for the show today? Nope. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Thank you, Marshall. <laughs> so you don't Greg get Bell will join us. Greg Bell will join us. Radio play-by-play. Gregory will be here. Are you guys going to have a playoff? Like a play-by-play-off? Play-by-play-off. We should do that. You ought to do have that. have a dramatic call and then see who goes crazy. Yeah, like like go show the – go have – both of you have to do the Chris Coughlin mm-hmm. uh, tag at home and, yeah. and hear how he calls it. Yeah. And and he's Canadian, so he'll probably bring it for the Toronto. Oh, you know he'll say, eh? Yeah. You know he'll throw that in there. Eh? A great yes. tag, eh? I like Canadians. Okay. Like eh. Okay. You just All have right. the two like greatest Drake. ever. Guys, you know what? <laughs> I can tell already it's going to be a great show. We hope so. If not, we'll just do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Regardless. I mean, just a yeah. do-over tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. No try, try, try again. Well, brethren, may the force be with you. Thank you. May and 4th next week. Yeah, May 4th. And remember who you are. Peace Always. out, yo. Yes, sir. Be good. And uh, off they go. Folks, it's just about five minutes away. Five minutes away. You get to enjoy BYU Sports Nation, Brian Logan, Jerem Jordan. The team is there. I'm pretty sure he won't be showing his abs like he did as he walked by my window. I think it's because we always talk about how ripped he is. But I'm going to go show him my abs. And uh, you'll notice it on the radio show because there will be this awkward silence. Yep, that's what it'll sound like. That's what it will sound like. Hey, um, we've been teasing you about this air marshal uh, that leaves a gun in the bathroom on an airplane. A federal air marshal on a transatlantic flight left her, left her loaded service weapon in the airplane's bathroom, where it was discovered then by a passenger who gave it to a crew member before it was returned to the federal agent. I mean, anybody could have gone into that bathroom. Uh, the incident happened on board a Delta Flight 221, which was traveling from Manchester uh, in the United Kingdom to New York's JFK on April 6th and was reported to the Air Marshal's management days later. In a statement to CNN, TSA would confirm only that it is aware of the incident involving a federal air marshal on that date and it is reviewing the circumstances. How great is it that a sane, decent person was the one that found that gun? I mean, that could have been anyone. That could have been – we just had the whole United fiasco. Ooh. Could have got crazy. Oh my crazy. Hey, Kansans are uh, going crazy over a terrible driver nicknamed the CRV lady. In, uh, in Kansas, uh, near Topeka, is a home to perhaps the worst driver in the world. Known by many as the CRV lady, Patricia McDonald has garnered such a reputation from her poor driving. There's actually now a Facebook page called CRV Lady of Topeka to warn citizens of her where of her whereabouts. After readers sent them a number of photos and videos showing a woman driving a Honda CRV recklessly near Topeka, a local news uh, person found that the woman, whom they identified as Patricia McDonald, has been cited over 20 times since 1996. She's a menace to society. 
of those seven uh, sightings, seven were for speeding, one was for inattentive driving. There have now been reports of this woman running people off the road, causing traffic issues, such as driving the wrong way on the street. The news site says a more recent run-in with the law enforcement happened in spring of 2016 when McDonald uh, parked her car in the middle of the road. Since that case was finalized in October of the same year, the news site said McDonald has received five additional tickets. They actually have a website, a Facebook page for her. And people know, oh, there's the CRV lady. So people are making a difference. Making a difference. Doing what you can. Sure, you're not a police officer, but you can take a picture and post it. And the sad thing we found out from Terry is there he's giving she's giving a bad name to CRV drivers around the country. It's terrible. Remember, when you're driving, folks, you're not just driving for yourself. You're also driving for your car brand and model. You, too, are making your Honda CRV look good or bad. And remember, these companies spend a lot of money to keep a reputation up. And all it takes is one bad driver, one crazy CRV lady, and it all goes down the chute. Thank you for that. Yes, a public service announcement by the Matt Townsend Show. Now our hero of the day is a UPS driver who puts out a house fire with a garden hose. What'd you do at work today? I just saved a lot of lives. UPS driver is being held as a hero after he spotted flames at a home on his route and put them out. Driver Paul Pereira was on the last delivery of his day when he saw a growing fire on the front porch of a home in Haverville, Massachusetts. I came around the corner. I noticed there was a table on fire, Pereira said. I just ran over, banged on the door, told the people in the house, your house is on fire. And they didn't know their house was on fire. Inside the home, Brian Lavender said his wife and daughter thought someone was barbecuing outside. The next thing you know, there's banging on the door, fire, 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 get out. Lavender said, as neighbors called the fire department, Selena Sanchez said she took out her cell phone to record what was going on. That's when she caught Pereira's brave act. The UPS guy, he uh, was like, hey, we need a hose. Does anybody have a hose? By the time the fire department showed up, he had knocked down the fire um, and he hadn't been there. If he hadn't been there, the entire porch would have been engulfed in flames and who knows what would have happened next. So congratulations to you, UPS driver Paul Pereira. You're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. It's all it takes, folks, to be a hero. Just a willing heart. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. Until then, let's take care of each other and be putting out the fires for one another. We'll be back tomorrow.